0: This is the miBTonline.com podcast featuring recordings from our weekly and monthly live streaming meetings. To see the videos discussed in the podcast and be part of the discussion, please consider joining our association at mibt Now, here's the show. I'm Tim Kiefer from mibt Welcome to the on-demand version of our live clinic that was streamed July 29th. We hope you enjoy this clinic that was recorded live, and please send us your feedback at tim at mibtmedia.com. Also please consider joining our association, mibtonline.com, weekly meetings regardless of when they're going to play football or any sport because we're going to be adding basketball, baseball, softball, other sports as well, so please consider joining our association. If you're an Illinois official and looking for clinic credit, please email me, tim at mibtmedia.com, and I will advise you on how to get that clinic credit for watching this on-demand clinic. Once again, Illinois officials, email me, tim at mibtmedia.com to get clinic credit. Thank you, and enjoy the clinic. Hello everyone, Tim Kiefer here with you, MIBtonline.com. Welcome to our free uh, football officiating clinic. We are so happy that you are here to join us tonight. Uh, There's a lot of things going on in the world of sports and uh, things change all the time. But here's the most important thing. At some point, there will be football. Whether it's in the fall, in the spring, it doesn't matter. States are playing football this fall states are going to play football this spring. Heck, even California they're going to play in the winter. So there will be football and when that happens, they're going to require people to officiate and we're going to have to be sharp. So that's why we're here tonight. We are here because of everything that's going on, we want to give you a free football officiating clinic with some of the best football officiating minds in the country to make you better. So when they tip that spear and it's ready to go, we're sharp. We're the sharpest on the field. So. Kind of give you a rundown of how things are going to go tonight. Uh, we're going to start things off with Sam Knox. Sam, is, is, uh, he's had a crazy day. So we we'll appreciate the fact that Sam's going to be here just for a little bit. We're not going to get into the woods. This is a football clinic. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what has been going on in his world. We're going to take some questions and we're going to move on because we got Robert Yabara with us. You know Robert, Robert's going to do a presentation on rules differences between high school, college, and NFL, and the points of emphasis. It's a great presentation. We'll take a little bit of a break. Then we're going to go to Jim Wojakavich. Jim Wojo, he's coming to us from Michigan. He's actually on vacation. He's taking time out of his vacation and his family to talk about offensive pass interference and defensive pass interference. This is going to be a great presentation because you're going to learn, you know, advantage, disadvantage in the categories of OPI, DPI, which is huge as an official. And then we'll take another break, and then we're going to bring in Bill Monier, you know, national championship uh, referee and ESPN college football expert, analyst, He's going to come in and talk about crew dynamics. Then I'm going to keep you safe with uh, how to work a game under these new normal situations. Take another break and we'll finish things up with Matt Sumstein. Matt, refereeclinic.com. You know him, you love him from the Hawaii videos. A lot of people just say, hey, it's the Hawaii guy. So he's going to be with us to finish off and then that'll be it. I guarantee you the next four hours is going to fly by. You're going to be like, wow. And the nice thing is it's going to all be recorded and available on demand you to watch later. So if you miss something, go back and watch it. This is what we need to do. For you Illinois high school officials that want credit for a clinic, we're going to have you check in from time to time. And in order to do that, you need to text us. There's not, The chat room isn't working right now, so you're going to need to text us that you're here. We're going to have you check in at certain times during the presentation or during the meeting so that way we know that you're here. In fact, this is going to be one of those times go ahead and text us right now this number 844-437-4345 and just give us your name and your IHSA number and we're going to keep track and at the end we're going to make sure everybody checked in and watched where they were supposed to watch and then we'll make sure the IHSA gets credit for you Illinois high school officials. If you're watching around the country you, this is your way to get a hold of us. If you have a question of the presenter or anything that's brought up go ahead and text us and let us know. We'll monitor that. We'll get to your question right away. Also, I want to thank Jerry Davis Sports. We're going to have a special offer from Jerry Davis Sports here uh, later in the clinic. They've been gracious enough to give us a, give some stuff away and I can't wait to talk about that. So Jerry Davis Sports, want to thank them. Stay tuned for a special offer from them because you know we're going to have to buy electronic whistles. So that's how you check in. That's how you get credit. Everybody was wondering, how do you get credit? That's how you do it. We'll, we'll talk about this more as we go on throughout the clinic. So. Without further ado, I want to get to the meat and the the bones of why we're here. We're here to talk about football, get all that administrative garbage out of the way. I want to bring in Sam Knox. Sam is the Assistant uh, Executive Director of the Illinois High School Association. Sam is the football administrator, and he's also the officiating administrator. So Sam, I know this has been a crazy, crazy, crazy busy day for you, and things are coming and going. The one thing I I would like you to do is just talk about um, how this has been from your standpoint as an administrator, not necessarily specifically in Illinois yet, just how this last four months has been in like your office, and because I think people around the country will be able to relate to, you know, everybody wants answers and they want to hear from their state office. How has this been for you?
1: Uh, Tim, thanks for having me and thanks to your staff for putting this clinic together. Uh, it's been challenging with all capital letters. Uh, it's it's kind of been an unbelievable ride so far, and we're not even halfway there. The school year hasn't even started yet. Uh, states are just coming up with their plans for the school year now. But uh, we've received a lot of support from our schools around the state uh, with plans from athletic directors or coaches or principals who said, you know, hey, you should think about this or think about that. And, you know, we our number one goal in Illinois was to provide our kids with a chance to participate in all the sports and activities they love. And if that means moving seasons or shortening seasons, we're willing to do that. Uh, Unfortunately, that might mean we have to shorten the season to a point where we maybe don't have state finals. Maybe we only have regional or sectional competition in some things. But again, our number one priority was to make sure we were able to offer everything under our umbrella and not have to flat out cancel any seasons.
0: Yeah, it's, like I said, everything came out today. I know I appreciate you taking some time because I'm sure this is probably the last thing you wanted to do, getting barraged with press releases and all that. So I, I do appreciate that. So, you know, people are checking in right now. I'm going to allow, we're going to, we, I don't want to get too deep because you probably don't have answers. You know, everyone's going to ask you questions that you don't have answers to. You might have some, some answers. You know, obviously the press release came out in, in Illinois. They're going to move uh, a lot of the sports, specifically football, to the spring, and I'm sure you don't have the specifics on who's going to practice when, when the games, all the conferences, you know, tournaments and all I'm sure there's, that still has to be figured out by, by your office, but just give us a little tidbit of what you can share, just so people around the country know what Illinois is doing, and then all the Illinois officials who are watching.
1: Well, and I'll start by saying, as of right now, 6 o'clock Central Time on July 29th, uh, this is what we know because as we all know this this could change within the next few days or weeks but as of right now the plan is to uh, start football practice on february 15th and run the traditional preseason acclimatization period and then start playing games in early march and play games in the months of march and april uh, which if you look at a calendar and some of you might be looking at a calendar right now well gosh that doesn't give us enough weeks to play a nine game season and then a five week playoff system like we traditionally do. And you're exactly right. There's not enough weeks on the calendar to play that entire season. So as Tim said, we don't have the answer to, well, how many regular season games are we going to have? How many playoff games are we going to have? Are we going to have eight state champions again this year? We don't have those answers right now, but we will figure those out. We'll get a lot of smart football people together and come up with a plan. Uh, And as officials, I know what you're thinking because I'm a baseball and basketball official myself. And was just communicating today with some junior highs about our junior high fall baseball season and and a chance to umpire some of those games maybe this fall but i know you're all wanting to know well, what's my schedule going to look like will it be as easy as taking my week one game that i had on my calendar and transfer it to a new week one somewhere in early march well we don't know if it's going to be that smooth and easy Uh, but hold tight don't get the eraser out don't delete anything yet Athletic directors and assigners will be in communication with you over the next several weeks and months as we all get this figured out.
0: So, real quick, we're going to, like I said, I'm going to cut you loose because I know you're, you're very busy dealing with all this stuff, but I know this question's coming up and I know it's not one of your favorite ones to answer, but there's a lot of questions like, like this clinic, like people are going to get credit for this clinic tonight for all the education. Would that count all the way to the spring? and? and how that's going to work, and then also like dues. There's all these questions about, are my dues going to be deferred? Or, and I know it's a, it's a tough question, that you, you know when you get into money, people sometimes get a little testy, but you know, I, if you could share anything on that so people can, can know, because I'm sure it's very similar in other states as well.
1: Yeah, those are good questions, and, and there's nothing wrong with officials asking those questions. Uh, we went through some tough times back in the spring, uh, for the first time ever, we flat out canceled seasons and had to deal with officials and giving some of them uh, credit for the new school year and some of them not, and, and the and tough questions we had to answer then. But Tim, I can tell you this, if a football season happens in the spring, everything will happen as normal. You'll get credit for this clinic or any other clinic you might have attended. Uh, time motion flat out canceled Illinois seasons and had to deal with officials have and giving some same, of them. Uh, Kind of open for the new school year, and some of them not. Uh, um, and, um, tough questions we had to part answer. one: testing uh, date. At the same time, we might extend the testing window a little bit longer. So maybe if somebody wants to pick up football officiating in October or November or even next December or, or January, we, we'll grab those people if they want to sign up for football and get them going. Uh, but everything else will be the same. If we end up not having a season, and like I said, we're planning right now to play in March and April. If we get to that point and something happens with the, the coronavirus situation that we don't have football, we will provide a credit to our officials that will roll over to the next school year. We won't be writing checks and mailing checks back to people because you've got to realize we've got over 2,000 football officials in Illinois and about 11,000 total officials in Illinois. So the easiest part is just to provide them with a credit for the following school year. We want to do what's right and what's fair. Primarily, we're here for the benefit of our schools and our students. But right after that, we want to benefit our officials and make sure we take care of them because without all of you, uh, we can't play football. We know that for sure.
0: Well, and that's, that's for sure. And that's where we're going to talk about that as we move forward, because I know there's going to be some officials who are going to opt out for their safety. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, and obviously, we've, we already had an officiating shortage. So hopefully, they'll be able, everybody will be able to work together to get the games covered. Hopefully, the schools will be will be, you know, adhering to some of those practices and, and whatnot and obviously there's still a lot more to come out and I'm sure you're going to communicate with the officiating staff, as you, as you mentioned, on, on everything. Where can people go to get the latest information?
1: Well, our IHSA website, if anything could have gone worse today, we're getting ready to announce this on our website and because we had so much traffic on the website at about two o'clock, it, it crashed. And it was down for a while and that's embarrassing, but that's kind of what happened today. It was kind of told the story of the day, but on our website, you can find more information. We don't have officials information posted yet, uh, because again, we didn't know exactly the way today's IHSA board meeting was going to turn out, but it's time to to provide information to officials about, like you mentioned earlier, electronic whistles and what they, they can and can't expect. And you gotta realize if we're talking football, that's several months from now. We certainly hope there's a vaccine as they're saying in in maybe early 2021. So maybe by the time we get to a football season in March and April, uh, that a lot of this thing, maybe some of this stuff changes and maybe you can go back to blowing a regular whistle or not worrying about wearing disposable gloves and things like that. But again, we're here to work with officials and make sure that they feel comfortable going on the field to help our students in our schools. Uh, So look for more information from me soon. Uh, The first officials that will be going this year will be our cross country officials because cross country can run, Uh, girls swimming and diving officials will be able to uh, do their thing this fall. So if all of you know people who've ever thought about officiating, uh, there's going to be schools and assigners looking for new bodies this year. So if you've ever wanted to try cross country, swimming and diving, there's opportunities for you this fall. If you know some people who maybe have wanted to get into football, but haven't had the time in the fall, hey, this year we're going to have a spring season. So maybe talk somebody into becoming a football official and maybe you'll hook them in and, and keep them around for many many more years.
0: Well Sam so uh, thank you very much as you guys can see I, I, I moved over to one of our other alternate studios so Robert Ybarra can get ready to, uh, to give his presentation here because like I said we're, this is all about football today but this is important information doesn't matter what state you're from you, you know deal with your state associations and I'm sure hopefully they'll all be uh, giving out great information. Sam like, like I said, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know it's been an extremely busy day. And uh, we look forward to having a great clinic and, and hearing from you in the future for, for the guidance that you can be able to provide as, as things continue to go through the woods.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim. And thanks to all of our Illinois guys who are on the, the clinic tonight. Uh, thanks for your patience and your flexibility through this entire process. As we all say, no, none of us signed up for this. But here we are in the middle of it. And we're going to try to make the best of it for our students and our schools. And I'll leave our football officials with this whether you're from California, Illinois, Florida or anywhere in between you can get really good at being an official and really good tonight over the next four hours if you focus on the rules, use a lot of common sense when you apply those rules and remember that people skills are extremely important as an official. You can't go wrong with those three topics. Thanks, Tim. Have a great clinic.
0: Appreciate it very much, Sam. So uh... Thanks uh, for him for Sam for joining us, taking some time out of his out of his busy day. Because as you can even see, it was still at the office. So, like I said, we're going to kind of move right into uh, we're going to move right into the, the football uh, meat of it. And if you had a question for Sam, uh, you know, sorry we didn't get to that, but we had a very limited time with him based off of what's going on, and uh, we wanted to kind of take the meat of all the questions and some of the the more specific ones that a lot of us have been asking, and, and see if Sam you know could could get into those. So. Robert Ybarra is up. He's up in the main studio, and he's going to be talking, like I said, about rule differences between high school, college, and uh, the uh, NFL, and I think uh, Robert's ready to go. Let's turn over to Robert.
2: Thank you very much, Tim, and thank you, Sam. My name again is Robert Yabara. I'm an IHSA clinician, but uh, being in the chat room, I noticed that we had over 500 viewers already with us tonight, so thank you for joining us. This is going to be an exciting night to talk about football. Now, whether you're in the state of Illinois or I had viewers coming in from Florida, Idaho, Arkansas, so thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about the National Federation High School Rules for 2020 and 2021. So whether you're working in the fall or you're working in the spring, we're in this together. Uh, With that being said, let's get right to it. I'm going to make this an exciting night by... Having a lot of videos with these rules and points of emphasis and showing the correlation between high school versus college and the NFL. Now, high school officials, we all know we're held to the same scrutiny as the NFL officials are and the college officials. And what I mean by that is, spectators, coaches, even players think that we need to perform at that same high level. But you know what? One of the differences that we don't have that the NFL and the college have, and that's replay. So, here I'm going to show a play right now, and I want you to make the call. So, enjoy the play. And, uh, and I'm going to have you make the call.
3: But they still are somewhat undermanned, but just a great job and effort on the part of Perry Ridge and Chris Schrimm. You can see it's just a
2: pitch Here's play, the pitch running play from the sweep left.
3: Zach Benson and he fumbled it.
2: And now we have an official making the decision and, and judgment that we have a turnover back. where the defense recovered the loose ball. And we're going to go the other direction. Now. This is a state final contest. This was the last game that uh, our crew worked. I was the back judge in this play. And what I want to convey to you with high school versus uh, college in the NFL is we are our own replay crew. We don't have the benefit to uh, the sky judge upstairs to help us on these type of situations. Now, this particular moment in the game was a high impact play. At halftime, the the score was tied 14 to 14. In fact, the team that was losing at this moment could have taken the lead to begin the third quarter, deep into the third quarter, and their opponent scored quickly on them twice. So we have a situation now that this could be a knockout punch with the turnover. So the sensitivity of this high-impact play is something in our DNA. Those officials here in the Level 2 Clinic in Illinois and those across the country know this. When you're an experienced official, you've got to feel that in your blood. You've got to recognize when you have a play that is the game of the, of the, or the play of the contest. Now, with that all being said, we got together as a crew, and I want to show you what happened as a result of us coming together as a crew, as our own replay crew, to try to get it right at the moment and when it happened. So here we go with the actual second play, which is actually the same play, but just an extended version. But they still are somewhat undermanned, same but just play. a great job and effort. And the partner for Shrimp.
3: Here's the pitch to Zach Benson and he fumbled it. And the Flyers get it back. And they pitch the ball. And, uh, as you can see here, the current out, official he has off, he loses visibility of the his ball his clearly. Hand.
2: In our pregame, we've talked about the back judge having feet if you know, the back judge doesn't have, the ball, he have the, the, balls the ball in view. Here we have the lead official having the ball in view, so the States wing official Marine has ball court. responsibility. Back judge has feet responsibility. Right. And you know, this is what enables us to come together to communicate as a right. We're going to have to piece it together.
4: He, they, they Defense thinks they won the possession.
2: They may
3: take it back from me. St. Louis. We'll see what's going on uh, with the discussion here. I think that's we're talking
2: discussion. as a crew.
4: The defensive player foot was out of bounds on the line. Therefore, the recovery was out of bounds. First down. Murray Ridge. Referee does an excellent job communicating what happened.
3: Determined that he wasn't. Right here, watch. Oh, he see. doesn't have possession. He does not have possession. There's now he's foot. got possession and his legs out. of am too cold to reach back there. But, you know, that's just great officiating. We've had an outstanding crew today as well as we've had for all these games. These officials do a terrific job. And you notice they, they didn't have instant replay to go look at. Right, they they're... conferred with each other and that's the way sh- you should do it. And as co- from a coaching standpoint, when officials do that, you feel better notice about it. Notice the down, down call, distance and distance second and nine like it At least be. they're
2: talking to each other about it. Our takeaway from this example is high school versus college and NFL, we don't have the luxury of a replay crew. We're our own replay crew. That's the takeaway. As an official, when you take the field as a crew, recognize in certain plays what's the high impact play. Next, allow information to come in and be calm and collected with only facts. Next, be comfortable receiving the information as a crewmate. Recognize and not be stubborn to accept it collectively as a crew, we want to get it right. And I want to commend this state final crew, the John Howie's crew, of doing an excellent job on this state final game uh, this last year. 2020-2021 new rules. Let's go through them, but let's go through them with video, okay? Before we even take the field, we need to get with the coaches uh, to discuss who's the designated team representative, For penalty enforcement, we do this already, but now it's in the rule book. It's stated in Rule 1012 and 1024. So with that being said, just be mindful that it is in fact a rule that we understand who is the decision maker when it comes to penalty enforcement, because sometimes that can get a little confusing. Next rule change for 2021 is disconcerting act files penalties reclassified where now A disconcerting act or words by the defense has been reclassified from an unsportsmanlike foul down to a disconcerting act foul, and the penalty has been changed from 15 to 5 yards. Now, why is that? I think we were a little less likely to call an unsportsmanlike a major foul enforcement for unsportsmanlike if the defense did something funky to disrupt the cadence of the offense. Now we are more enticed to penalize the defense if they choose to behave in that manner by reducing the penalty enforcement down to a five, and if you notice the mechanic in the Federation book, you'll see that it's gonna be a hand behind the head. So with that said, let's show a couple examples. But first, most commonly, what we find in our high school games is quarterbacks now beginning to clap or to fake clap, and they do that as part of their cadence. Now this is a situation that we need to understand, and I thought a great teacher to help us understand this message is by Coach Gruden, so if you don't mind I'm going to show this video and he's going to be chatting with the quarterback uh, from Ohio State who t- typically has that as part of their cadence rhythm, so let's watch this video. Guys,
5: look at you. You're like
0: uh, Big Bird or something back there. <laughs> so just stand up and face me, yeah. okay?
4: Uh, <laughs> like, like you looked at a sideline, yeah. look over there. What, are they giving you the snap count? No, I got the snap count. So what are you going to do? I it. on one. Get an offensive line to play.
2: They like gonna say, I'm going to try to tell the defense, trying to tie me up. And I go, then the center will say, ready, say go. Because they used to this. <laughs> they used to that all
6: game. Yeah. So the
4: noise of the clap doesn't mean snap it. Yeah. It does? Yeah. That's why I'm faking clapping. I'm not actually clapping. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You, you know, you guys are unbelievable, man. So you're
2: <laughs> faking clapping. So now that we have a little bit more understanding of why quarterbacks clap, again, is for the Kings rhythm, but I'm going to show you a play where I want you to make the call, and you make the decision on who committed a foul here and how we would enforce it at the high school level. With that being said, here it is, rule change for disconcerting act fouls. Is this a foul? You make the call. Every five minutes. (laughs) Here you have the situation where the defense is actually clapping. If you look at the defensive end and a linebacker, they're clapping every five minutes. There he is. <laughs> clap, 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 because they know they saw film the week before that the quarterback likes to clap and they're disrupting the clap. And unfortunately, in this situation, I don't know if you paid attention to it, but I'll play it again for you, is um, the uh, wing official coming in from the bottom. Every five minutes. He's giving that mechanic of a false start. So he actually penalized the offense, unfortunately. But in high school, in this particular case Every situation, <laughs> we are instructed as a clinician to us, the official, of calling this a dis- disconcerning act foul, and we will penalize the defense five yards. Let's go to Tim. Tim, do you agree with that?
0: Tim, are you on or not? Yeah, I am. Okay. Um, <laughs> under, the new, under the new rules, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, was, that's a change. I mean, that's a point of emphasis, and that's what we want to do this year, and uh, I obviously... You know, it's nice to have film on this because sometimes you don't. We don't have film on it, and to actually see it in action is one of those
2: times where it, we can give a good example of when we want this called and when we don't. Great, and that's what MIBT offers value to our viewers and our members: is video with the rule enforcements, uh, new rule enforcements and points of emphasis. I've been to a few associations already and they're just showing the uh, PowerPoint slide and it's pretty dry, but we bring some sound and some video to the discussion. It adds another dimension, dimension to our learning process. With that being said, I'm gonna show you a vocalized version of a Disconcerting Act Foul. Again, this would be a situation where you make the call. Is this a foul or is it not a foul? And then we'll talk about it. So let's watch it.
0: It's that real world, it's that real world.
4: It's not a wheel route, oh, it's the fake wheel
3: route.
6: Christian McCaffrey, 7-0, Carolina. It's that wheel route, it's that wheel route. That wheel route.
2: Okay, wheel the reason why I showed this play, it's how many of you said it's that this to was to a foul? This is just considering that foul Two nice out. five yards. <laughs> how many of you said no, It's by no means route. is that it's a, a fake foul? That's just wheel wheel playing route. football and Christy having a little McCaffrey, fun on the field. Carolina. I, with the latter, let's not penalize the defense for communicating with the defensive player to defensive player. In this particular case study, we didn't have a defensive player that was impacting or inferring with the cadence of the uh, offensive players. So let's not abuse this rule to an extent where we're throwing flags unnecessarily. And that's the purpose of showing this video, was just to remind ourselves, defense can still communicate with defensive players' personnel. Likewise offense can communicate with offensive players' personnel. And in this uh, friendly example, we had a little uh, exchange with the quarterback and the uh, defensive player. And that's part of the game. Let's just have a little fun. Umpires, that's why you're in the middle. You can monitor that and, and take control of this situation. But again, this is, these are high school student athletes having some fun on the field. And let's not throw flags unnecessarily. I just wanted you to take that away from uh, this new rule change. 40-second play clock uh, clarification. Here we have a 40-second play clock enforcement or uh, acknowledgment. If the defensive player becomes injured on the field, while the clock was running, or a defensive player who has an equipment issue. In this case, the example is shown in the slide here, the helmet coming off. So I'm going to show two plays with both examples here, and, uh, and help us enrich our understanding of what we're talking about with this 40-second play clock. But again, this is when the clock is running, and uh, we, we're going to implement the 40-second play clock if, again, we have any of these two s- uh, scenarios developed in our contest. Here's the first one. You make the call. We have a defensive player that's gonna be injured, and I want you to rule how you would handle it, okay? So you make the call. There's a defensive player down on the ground. And boom. But first, before I move on, I have Tim over here raising his hand. You have a question on the last player, what do we got?
0: Yeah, so somebody asked if the, what if the team A, the offense, is not doing the clapping signal, but yet now the defense is clapping, would we still penalize the defense in that case, if the offense is not using that for their, you know, offensive cadence or rhythm?
2: Good, great question. So just so I understand, I'm gonna repeat the question back and hopefully I'll answer it directly. The question is the offensive cadence does not include a clap. The offensive cadence is just vocal. And in that situation, uh, there is no uh, conflicting use of the cadence rhythm of the offense by the defensive player. If the defensive player chooses to clap because the offensive player isn't, does that give them the privilege to do the clapping? Not if you deem that disruptive. Let's play football. Let's not get into acute circus activities here. Umpire, you get in there, you talk to those defensive players and says, let them vocalize their cadence. Don't disrupt their cadence. So, to answer your question, preventative officiating, once you recognize that as an umpire, you're right there in the middle. You, you educate those student athletes on the defensive side of the ball and said, hey, we don't need that extra clapping. You're interfering with their vocalized cadence. Let's move on. I hope that answers your question, okay? at well, these are 17-year-old athletes, man. We can, uh, we can teach them around the field just like they can in the classroom. All right. So we had that play where the uh, defensive player was down on the ground, and we have uh, the clock running. Well, in that case, we would have a 40-second play clock coming out of the next play because Otherwise, last year, we would have killed the clock for a defensive player being injured, and then since that was an official's timeout, we would have came back with the live clock beginning with the 25-second play clock, right? Well, the reason why this rule is in place is when we were getting under a minute of the half or under a minute of a game, and the offense otherwise would have been able to run out the clock, now, unfortunately, they would have had to execute a play because it was greater than 25, then they would have to run another play. So to minimize that disadvantage given to the defense for them becoming injured, they implemented this new rule. So I hope that uh, explains it, but let's show it in video form to show how abusive this can get, because it is a tactic that some schools have used, and uh, this play will illustrate that. So here we had a situation where the player's down, right? But how did he get down? Did he just have like a Caesar moment and he's down on the field? Or does something more chaotic occur through instruction of the coach? As you're going to see here on the video, this guy, <laughs> he could have gotten off the field fine. In fact, he was ready to jog off, his coach stops him. No, 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 fall to the ground. Fall to the ground. Okay, coach, he falls to the ground. Is that abuse or what? I don't know if we got Bill Lamani available, do we have an opportunity well, to go he's to
0: him? he got to turn on his mic.
2: OK, well, we'll get to Bill when he's got his mic on, and we can have him uh, comment on some of these collegiate plays. But isn't well,
0: that... Me, I, I want to comment on this, okay. Robert.
2: Hey, go right ahead. Robert, OK,
0: collegiate maybe, NFL for sure. But I'm telling you, on a high school game, we're not doctors. And if they want to abuse us like this, OK, maybe that's a way of, of now we elevate it to another level. But I don't want to play doctor. How can I prove, even though that was pretty obvious, how can I prove that that kid is injured? I'm not a doctor, I don't want to be held liable if now that kid you know, sprains his ankle the next time and I said you were faking it.
2: Oh, well, no, let, let me align with you, Tim. I'm not saying anything about faking or coming to judgment on his intention, none whatsoever. The rule states that since we're acknowledging that a player is apparently injured and we're giving an issue uh, timeout for the injury, coming out of this situation, the play clock's going to 40. That's the takeaway from this video it's not in judgment whether or not this player is faking or not faking because the main takeaway from this rule is we have an injured player whether it be truthful or untruthful who cares that's not our business to judge we're coming out by rule with the 40-second play clock, coach, because we have an injured player. We acknowledged it, and now you're going to treat him. And unfortunately, he's going to have to leave the game. Is that clear?
0: Oh, no, it's clear. Hopefully, we'll bring Bill, Bill into this. Hopefully, his, his mic is working. So uh, Bill, give, give it a whirl. See what, see what we got.
5: Well, unfortunately, I've seen this type of thing happening time and time again in the college game. Um, we're seeing the players looking over the bench, getting instructions from the bench, and they're going down. To me then, that's an administrative thing that the conferences have to deal with. But us as officials, as Robert said, and you've said too, it's not our job to play doctor. Stop it. 42nd clock, move on with life.
0: Well, we just got, we just got a comment from the, from, the, uh, from the chat room was, well, what if you hear the player or the coach say go down? Or, you know, what not. Like I said, I don't know if we want to split hairs. We, we can get really deep into the woods here. If you hear that, that might be something to bring up with your supervisor, your signer, maybe your state association. If you're hearing that type of like blatant, you know, dis- taking advantage of the rule. But
2: once again, just, just do this, just do what Robert said and move on. Excellent. Let's do a, Let's play another example. This one is a, a 40 second play clock situation dealing with equipment. So you make the call. Okay. Uh, We're going to highlight the defensive player here, and you're going to see something faulty happen to his uh, equipment, and how are you going to rule on it? Here we go. So we got the gentleman right there in the uh, black-green 55 engaged with the offensive player, and look what happens. The defensive player's helmet comes off, and oh my goodness, the ball carrier is still advancing the ball. But this official is overzealous, recognizing the equipment of the defensive player and is killing the play. You make the call. Is this correct? Or are you with the majority and it's not correct? This is not correct. The only time we will stop the play if the helmet came off of the runner, the runner. Um, In this particular situation, I understand the official being overzealous to want to protect players, but in this case, we're not stopping the play because the defensive player's equipment has a faulty error, and in this case, the helmet comes off. In this particular play, the play will continue. Now, since that player's helmet comes off, he is now not able to participate. And if he chooses to, they'll be deemed, unfortunately, a flag for illegal participation. But that's a totally different rule. The rule we're st- stating here is if a defensive player's helmet comes off after the ball's dead and the ball cl- or the clock would have been live uh, on the ensuing play, we're going to have the, set the play clock to 40 seconds, while last year we would have set it to 25. Why? Because we would have had an official's timeout. Why? Because we had a player's equipment failure. That player would have had to remove the contest, grab his helmet, get off the field, be replaced, put the ball, spot, the ball down on the field to begin the next ready for play. In that case, we have a play clock of 40. I hope that makes sense. Okay, let's move on. That's why video helps. It gives us a little bit more richer understanding of what we're talking about, and it kind of gets into other situations that will help deepen the discussion. 25-second play clock clarification rule on on kicks. When a legal kick occurs, this is another rule change from last year that that, that there was a loophole. In this case, if it's a legal kick and we have a new series beginning for the kicking team, so the kicking team was on fourth and ten kicks, but then now they recover a muffed punt, it was able to maintain possession, Uh, and then now we're going to have a new series for Team A. In this particular case, uh, we're going to have a play clock situation where uh, the 25 starts on the ready for play, okay, the ready for play. Here we go. So you make make the call. Here we have a scrimmage kick to kind of get visualized with the football play. The ball hits the ground. That's a key element. And now we have contact on the receiver, and we have a kicking team player recover. And we have an overzealous back judge there that's throwing his flag, picking it up, and doing all kinds of other funky things. But the main takeaway from here is relative to the play clock, but I wanted to show this play to you to kind of remind ourselves to calm down, breathe out, especially on kicking plays, because a lot of funky things happen. And uh, in this particular situation, the 25-second 25, 25 play clock will uh, begin on the ready for play for Team A as they advance now for the next new series. That's a rule change from last year. And it looks like we have a question here in the chat room. Yes, Tim.
0: Yeah, it's uh, from the text. Uh, remember, if you've got any questions, you can text us. I'm, I'm, we're trying to keep an eye out on the YouTube and the Facebook the chats if you have any questions. But this is the best way, if you have a question, to to get a hold of us, because we're, we're t- keeping an eye on it. We do have a question, of, what if the helmet comes off as a result of the penalty, uh, as a, of a penalty, then where does the play clock go now?
2: Yep, okay, so we have a situation where the defensive player's helmet comes off, but let's say because it was uh, illegal use of the hands by the offensive tackle, which caused the defensive player's helmet to come off, the runner advances, we got a dead ball, we're killing the clock because we have a penalty. We have a penalty situation, right? So that defensive player may remain in the game because the helmet came off as a result of a penalty. The defensive player, 55, can continue for the next play, the next down, and since we are coming out of a penalty situation, the play clock is set at 25. Does that make sense? Good. All right, let's move on. All right, spiking the ball to conserve time. This is beautiful. This is a Great, great uh, rule that we need to cover, and I have a few examples to help us illustrate what we're talking about here. But the main takeaways is, in most cases last year, you had, when a team was in a two-minute drill, hurry up, and they wanted to conserve time, in a lot of cases, the quarterback will run under center, uh, take a clean backward pass snap, uh, gain possession, and immediately spike it to the ground. That has continued to the shotgun formation, where by definition, a player who's in position to receive the backward pass behind the snapper is able to secure possession in a clean manner, not a bobble, not a muff, secure possession cleanly, then immediately spikes the ball to conserve time. That is legal coming into the 2020-2021 season. So please be clear with that. The possession on the backward pass has to be clean. And the spike has to be immediate. Make this clear in your uh, pre-game discussions with the quarterback and the coach uh, before the contest. Say, "Hey, listen, in your ter- hurry up, if you if do you plan to ever spike the ball, conserve time in shotgun formation? No, we always go into center. Great. By chance, if you ever did in shotgun or ever under center, it has to be a clean exchange and it has to be immediate. End of discussion. You communicated the rule; they know it going in, and you won't have any issues. Now, during the game, you have a muff." and then they uh, catch the bobble and then spike it, that, we're going to show an example, is a foul. Or they're in a shotgun formation, they receive a snap, but they bobble it, then they immediately spike it. Unfortunately, that's going to be a foul because, again, it wasn't clean. I hope that's very clear, and we're going to illustrate it in video form. Here we go. We're in the state of Illinois, so I'm going to show you a play where you make the call. You make the call in the Chicago Bears on this quarterback play where he's trying to conserve time. Is this a foul or not a foul? You decide. <laughs> Did you laugh? Did you see his feet kind of stutter there a little bit, a little uh, shake and bake? Well, anyhow, do you deem that as a foul, or do you find that to be just fine? By our definition that we just shared a slide ago, was that immediate? The answer to that question is no, it was not immediate. So let's watch what actually happens. We have a quarterback takes a snap. He's not immediately throwing down. In fact, he did a little few shuffle steps and appropriately so, so the referee deemed that as intentional grounding. Now be mindful that um, that is a spot foul, penalized five yards in high school and a loss of down. So as a reminder, that is an example of intentional grounding uh, because he did not immediately accept the snap from the center. He did a few steps backwards, and then he decided to throw the ball to the ground. I hope that's clear as day. Crystal, let's move on. Here we have a situation that really took me by surprise. I saw this video and I wanted you to watch it because I learned something from it that I didn't even think about before I saw the video. So you make the call. You decide here, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the game, uh, Mr. Mahomes for Kansas City Chiefs, on why he was penalized, but you make the call.
3: Throw it to the sideline now. Are they gonna spike it, or throw a quick out. Oh, he's gotta defend the sideline. You can throw a quick out and, and attempt uh, a long Mahomes field goal.
2: Is under center. And there is the he spike, and the ball immediately.
3: And eight seconds.
2: Wow, okay. On the clock. I see that every day. Not an issue. Intentional oh gosh, grounding. Offense, oh, number 15. Ooh. No, Robert, that Spiked can't the be ball, right. that's gotta although be Although the clock was
6: not running. So,
2: that's a 10-yard penalty from the
6: previous spot. And loss of right. down. Second
3: down
2: when he immediately spiked the ball. Well, let's take a look at it the play clock. A 10 the play clock is running, and that's why Mahomes spiked the and ball. And that will bring us to halftime. But the referee announced that the quarterback uh, snapped the ball before the play clock was running. That's the reason why the referee threw the flag for intentional browning erroneously. This is where a crew has to help the situation, and let's not pick uh, bees out of soup here. Tim, you got a question?
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, so, if we have an intentional grounding call like this, when are we going to start the clock?
2: Great question. That's uh, rule three in uh, rule book uh, rule three. anytime it's a legal incomplete pass or an illegal forward incomplete pass, we still come out of it with the dead clock. It's still um, on the snap. So there's no there's no exception relative to that rule. Yeah, I think
0: that. I mean, that's an important point. I think sometimes we forget. You know, an illegal forward pass that's incomplete is an incomplete pass. This could happen even beyond the line of scrimmage. You could have a running back who's running down the field, 50 yards from the from the line of scrimmage, and then shuffles it forward, trying to you know not realizing where he's at. And if that ball hits the ground, that's an incomplete pass. It's kind of goofy. We don't see it very often, but yeah, it's just an incomplete pass. And in high school, it's it's, it's just that simple. And that's where we would that's how we would do the clock.
2: Yep. And, and you're going to say, well, why, why would they get the benefit of uh, you know, having the clock start on the snap there? Well, you know what? They're penalized twofold, actually, because, again, it's a five-yard penalty from the spot. So you, you, you lose five yards from that spot of where the pass was thrown, and you lose the down. So it, it's a significant penalty, despite the clock uh, starting on the snap on the ensuing play. So thank you for that question. And that's why we're in here tonight with MIBT. We're here to learn. We touch on some rules. And that's why I wanted to show video along with these new rules to kind of really dive into getting into the game. This makes we, a lot of fun. We did, we did have another question, yeah. which
0: is, and, I, and I'll just answer this, it was about if a, if a player's helmet comes off and they continue to participate. Well, that's, that's illegal participation. That's a different rule. That's a safety foul. And so if a player's helmet comes off, they're supposed to stop participating. If they do continue, then actually we have a 15-yard illegal participation foul.
2: That's right. And if you really want to talk penalty enforcement, then you understand what type of play that is and how you're going to force it. So that's excellent. I love the questions. I love the response. Thank you, guys. Let's keep learning. All right. Here we got to play. You know what? Um, hopefully we got sound. You're going to hear the whistle on this one. You make the call. Did these guys get it right? And what level are we playing at here?
3: Range. And a third spike of the drive. Oh, a fake by Bortles. Goes in the corner.
2: Incomplete. We have the dreaded IW even at the well, high level. whistle there. It can happen to anybody. Why? Because they fell asleep. Don't let a situation like this, where they're in a situation where they may appear in perception to want to spike the ball to conserve time and then uh, do a pump fake and freak you out, and before you know it, you're uh, hitting that electronic whistle inadvertently. We don't want that. Here we go again.
3: ...range. And a third spike of the drive. Oh, no, a fake by Bortles. Goes in the corner it
2: incomplete. Goes. Hold your whistle.
3: Well, they blew a whistle there.
2: At all levels, we can always learn something at any level you're officiate at. All right, uh, spiking the ball to conserve time. Also, I showed this in April to level one, but this is a level two video. Okay, referees, you make the call, all right? We got a situation here where we got a quarterback that wants to spike the ball to conserve time. You make the call. You get one look at it. Here we go. Watch it again. That referee saw the call. He made the call. He's selling the call. That quarterback intentionally wanted to spike the ball, but that defensive lineman was so quick like a cat. He scooped that puppy up, got an INT. We're going the other way. The referee sells it with no hesitation. That's elite. That's what we're after. That's MIBT official member right there, right, Tim? Tim? That's, that's good stuff, real good stuff. You didn't see it the first time in a game, you saw it first time in an association meeting. That's good stuff. All right, points of emphasis. We gotta to touch, on, touch on these because uh, the Federation and the state require us to do such. All right, we're at the halftime point though, and I know Tim's giving me a clock here where I got 10 minutes, but baby, we're gonna fly through these, but we're gonna point on the emphasis of these situations. Halftime intermission, be mindful. If we have a weather delay, and uh, we're, we're under uh, a time situation where we're below 10 minutes. The coaches get together, they say, hey, listen, we got a 30 minute weather delay and lightning strikes and before you know, we got another delay, but we, have le- we only got three minutes left in the half. So now we, we play the last three minutes of the half and then the coaches come together and they decide, hey, listen, we don't need that full 15 minute intermission. You know, we wanna get back on the field. Fortunately, now we have a rule change where The coaches can come together and make a decision where they still have to have the mandatory three and we still need to put up one. So we're talking about four minutes, but we can have that uh, uh, enforcement legally by rule now. So we're not having a long weather delay, short uh, play remaining in the half, go to another 15 minute delay for halftime intermission and then come with the three minute warning. Now we can have the coaches come together and say, no, my, my players are stretched out already. I don't want to wait another 15. Let's go. Let's go. All right. One minute, beautiful, down to three, mandatory three. Now we're going to play football again. That's a beautiful thing. Let's get the game going. All right. Intentional grounding, point of emphasis. Why? Because you know what? Us officials across the country and maybe across the world, because we've got other countries tuning in tonight, aren't enforcing this consistently. Intentional grounding, room 752. Teammate passer intentionally throws the ball away or pass away to avoid loss of yardage with no eligible receiver in the area. This is intentional grounding. We all understand it. Here's an easy video for you to make the call. You decide whether or not this is intentional grounding. So let's see it. Quarterback drops back. He's under heavy pressure. He could lose yardage by a sack. Decides just to fling it. There's only linemen in the area. (laughs) Is that intentional grounding? Here's a backside view. So again, you can look to see if there's any eligible receivers. There's no one there. He tried to avoid loss of yardage. That's classic book, Intentional Grounding, right? We're all on the same page, 100% 100 unanimous. I love that. All right, let's go to another play. You make the decision now. And Bill, get ready because I'm going to want to go to you on this one. Uh, So let's watch the play. You make the call. Is this intentional grounding or not? Quarterback drops back. He's under heavy pressure. He decides to fling it. Referee makes a decision. What's your call? Do you have intentional browning, or do you have an incomplete pass like this referee ruled? Or Bill? Well, I don't think I think I think uh, Bill. He's uh, he's having
0: a little little issue seeing it at the moment. because okay. I think he went too fast. You know, Robert, you got all this energy. You're just throwing things. But that's what happens on the field, right? You know, we got to throw throw it real fast, but. Uh, Um, I think if we can, I don't know if we can run it again. Yeah, we'll uh, run it again. We'll run it again and see what we
2: got. In fact, Bill, I'm going to give you the full full version. This is going to be an extended version, so I really want you to comment because you're the leader of the group on this. So here we go. So, Bill, we have the shotgun formation, quarterback's under pressure. We'll show a replay of it, Bill, so you can see it. Backside view. I want you to explain your best practices to make a decision and judgment and how we rule on situations like this when that quarterback is releasing the ball and then you have to make a judgment on what trajectory the ball was headed towards. So, Bill, with that said, take it away.
5: All right, well, the philosophy that I was taught and I used was that if the hit on him is impacting the throw, then he's gonna be off the hook on intentional grounding. So if he's lined up, he's got receivers in front of him, he's trying to possibly throw it forward, now the hit causes that ball to go somewhere where there's no receivers, Uh, he's off the hook totally, uh, no grounding. Uh, Also, even if the ball goes backwards on this throw, if it's because of the hit and his intent was to throw it forward, I'm going to have an incomplete forward pass, no foul.
2: That's... Excellent information, Bill. Excellent. I hope everyone gravitated that. Tim, I hope you ripped that segment out and so we can show it later on well, I man I'll rip it out, but we got people saying, well,
0: what about the back? It's backwards, didn't Wouldn't we, even though the intentional grounding may be there, if that's a backward pass, isn't that we're going to run, Johnny, run? We got to play ball.
5: I disagree with that from the standpoint of saying it, it was his intent and his effort was to throw it forward. It was the hit. That caused the ball and the arm to change direction. He's getting the benefit of the doubt. He's getting an incomplete pass out of it, um, and you should be supported on that.
0: Well, there you go, right from right from the national championship referee for all those who had that question out there. We had a bunch of people who had that question. You know,
5: way. we invited all officials.
2: I mean, we gave this is a free clinic. We invited all officials because we want to align our philosophy on this uh, type of play. And Bill, he's the best in the game. He worked the national championship game at the collegiate level. He's an ESPN expert and uh he's giving it to you firsthand live right now well
5: if i could interject one more thing it's it's that because we do have people who are viewing in from all around the world on this and around the world very little high school rules are played so when we talk about the intentional grounding remember we have no for the high school game we have no factor of the quarterback or the passer being out of the pocket being out of the tackle box to throw it away we're strictly talking here about eligible receivers in the area
2: that's that's an excellent point bill and that's a great segue to my next video you make the call baby you make the call tonight is this a foul or is this not a foul it's a collegiate play but we're going to rule it at the high school level and you're going to understand why we're not at that high school threshold like bill just mentioned so you make the call here michigan state northwestern quarterback takes the ball he's looking away he throws it and he's out of bounds, or he throws the ball way out of bounds, beyond the line to game, and uh, the referee comes out and says, this is not intentional grounding because he was out of the pocket, right? So that bill just said that. At the collegiate level, they're held differently, but if you look here, if you notice positioning, he was right there at the hash, okay? He did kind of shift a little bit to the center field, but if you notice when he released it, he's still within the tackle box, and these officials unfortunately got it wrong. Could you imagine at the high school level if we were held to that measuring stick, if we were held to be able to observe and make judgment of the tackle box frame, and then decide in judgment whether or not he was outside that tackle box with five officials? Come on. Man, we'll get it wrong more than we'll get it right.
5: Again, not to center on collegiate rules, but a clarification. If you leave the tackle box, you can come back in the tackle box and you're still out of the tackle box by uh college and by international rules so you only have to worry about it if he's in the box and hasn't left it
2: thank you bill that's great so just to summarize back to this high school level the federation level this clinic the certified level two clinic the words outside the pocket when the quarterback throws the ball is irrelevant to us where the ball lands near the line of scrimmage is irrelevant to us that's that's a different code that's that's not us so we just have to understand if he's throwing the ball away to avoid loss of yardage. That's our judgment, just to be very clear on that. Okay. Now, you make the call here. This is a high school game, and you make the call whether or not this is intentional grounding or not a foul. Here we are. This is a great athlete. In fact, he went to Michigan State. This is born for North, uh, Naperville Central. Great athlete, great arm. He's able to look all across the field, roll to his right, come back, roll to his left. Blockers are well taught. They're not blindside blocking anybody. And he releases the ball. And where does it land? Is this a foul for intentional grounding? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's
0: a foul for intentional grounding. Yes, it is. It's a foul for intentional grounding. That's my thought on it, at least. Yes. It's a foul for intentional grounding. Robert, what do you think?
2: I'm am I'm agree I'm I'm with the crew. We don't have replay to get it right. We have crewmates to get it right. If you if I was to replay it, I got to go uh, to the next play due to uh, sacrifice of time here. But the the referee in this case was me. I was following the quarterback and protecting him because he was being heavily uh, pursued at the sideline and went down at the ground. And last thing I want is uh, uh, unnecessary roughness or. Uh, personal foul on the defense against that quarterback, the number one Division One player on the field. So I'm like, you know what? My eyes weren't necessarily where the trajectory of the ball was going, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But that's where a crewmate could come in and give some help, and that's why we're here tonight. We're our own replay crew. We help each other out because we get it right during the game. All right. Oh, hey, listen. This is a great play. This happened, uh, Mac, Cleo Mac for the Chicago Bears, is uh, playing for the Buffalo uh, Bulls on this play. and I was going to play it. And I want you to watch it, and it's kind of a wild play. Um, Here we have uh, uh, the University of Ohio quarterback drops back to throw a pass. He's being heavily pursued by Cleo Mack and releases the ball, and they did get help from a crewmate. A crewmate is coming in and saying, hey listen baby, there's no one here near the ball. I don't have a receiver that's eligible in the area. That's great information for the referee to accept. Great information, but this referee uh, signals for intentional grounding. Well, it is intentional grounding, but he's viewing it now that it's in the end zone. So let's watch the replay of this situation. So it's clearly intentional grounding. We had a crewmate come in with help. We got Cleo Mack nearly making the sack. But watch where the quarterback is when he releases the ball. He's in the field of play. Now the referee didn't deem him in the field of play. The referee deemed him in the end zone. We had a wing official that came in and said I didn't have any official in the area. In this particular game example that we can all learn from, the back judge was able to see the jumbotron and recognize that the quarterback wasn't in the end zone and went in and told the referee. Now the referee, unfortunately, my understanding didn't accept that information. Bill, do you wanna comment on this at all? Because that's the only information I'm I'm aware of, but uh, I want you to make a comment if you can.
5: Yeah, there there was an attempt to have uh step up by crew members here, and unfortunately the referee didn't, uh, didn't buy into it, uh, would have taken him off the hook. And that, we're going to talk about that later when I talk about uh, some of the crew dynamics and things about taking responsibility. But uh, unfortunately, no, and uh, it was in, incorrectly enforced as an uh, intentional grounding in the end zone.
2: So if you read the, the sentence underneath the video there, we're our own replay crew. Let's not be stubborn. Let's accept information. Let's get the call right. And let's be viewed by the announcers and the public addressers and the fans and the coaches and the players as, hey, at least we got together. We talked about it. And they can accept that decision knowing that we're truly trying to get it right. And we use crewmates to, to work together in order to come out with the crew decision. And that's what's awesome. That's what makes a crew elite. All right. um, We've been through a lot of intentional grounding situations, but here I'm going to end with one that I don't want us to forget. Because, like any crew should have, don't get in any litigation. Here's an intentional grounding play, but you make the call. You make the call to determine how you're going to enforce this foul. Here it is. We have a quarterback drops back, clearly throws the ball away to uh, no receiver in the area. The crew decided to enforce the role as intentional grounding, which truly is, but in high school and at college, but in high school, be mindful that a period should not be extended by an untimed down if there's a foul by either team and the penalty is accepted for a foul that specifies a loss of down. We don't ever wanna relive this moment in time at any level and at the high school level specifically and certainly in the state of Illinois. So take that away tonight and I wish you a great season. Thank you for joining MIBT. It's gonna to continue to be great tonight, so thank you again.
0: Well, hello everybody, welcome, we're back. We're back right here on uh, mibtonline.com. So, based, uh, all you Illinois officials, we're gonna throw up the text line. Go ahead and uh, text us right now. This is our check-in, you know, so we can keep everybody on the up and up. Go ahead and check in right now, 844-437-4345. We'll give everybody a minute to do that, um, so that way we, we know you're there. We got your say number, so if you just say here, you can keep it nice and, nice and short for us. That'll be fine. It'll all work out. So uh, we had a great presentation to start things off. I mean, this is, you know, this is a lot of fun. Like I said, don't forget about Jerry Davis Sports. If you buy anything by August 7th, you put in MIBT at checkout, you're going to get... Uh, 10% off. So we thank them for, for doing that. Right now we have over 500 officials watching this. This is awesome. Consider being a member of MIBTonline.com. $39 a year. That gets you a, a, a basic membership, gives you access to all of our archive meetings, all of our weekly live meetings, as well as the Bill Amania best practices videos for the last five years. You're going to get like the, what you just saw, you're going to get access to all of that. And if you go to the $59 version, you're going to get insurance. You're going to get insurance to cover you if you're injured at a game. Up to $10,000. It'll cover your deductible. It'll cover co-pays. Who's doing that? Nobody else. Plus a million dollars of liability insurance. And we're going to talk about liability later. You might need it, unfortunately, under our new normal. So now we're going to bring in, hopefully it's working, we got from uh, Michigan. I think we got it all up and running now. We've got uh, uh, Jim Wojo. Jim Wojkiewicz. Everybody calls him Wojo because nobody can pronounce his last name except for me. I tend to get it right. I don't know why. but. I, you know, I, I can't pronounce other things. I don't know why you need his name right. But uh, everybody calls him Wojo, and uh, Jim is, is lucky, or we're lucky to have him. I've worked with Jim many times uh, through my career, moving up. Jim is a MAC deep official, and he's, trust me, this guy's worked the state final as well. He worked his way up, and I have a lot of respect for Jim. And he's going to show us some college plays, but don't fret, it doesn't matter. OPI, DPI, pretty similar in high school, college. What we're going to talk about, what he's going to talk about, is advantage, disadvantage, and the categories of defensive pass interference. It will make you a better high school official. So hopefully, we're going to go to Jim. Hopefully, we have his audio. There's Jim. Jim, how you doing?
4: I got you, Jim. Can you hear me?
0: Oh yeah, we got you loud and clear. How about it? So uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to turn it over to Jim. And Jim, you got the floor, buddy
6: fantastic thank you tim i really appreciate it Uh, both for the opportunity to speak this evening and the opportunity to engage your audience Um, for everybody on the call i've known tim for a long time we worked at the collegiate level for several years on the same crew there's not anyone in the college game or the high school game working harder than tim at the craft right now and especially about making you better and i've watched matt's videos for years i can't wait to see what he presents on i've known robert for I can't even know how long. There's not a better official in the state of Illinois. And Bill of mine, here's one of my personal mentors. Um, I would not have achieved the levels I have without him as well as others, but he has had a huge influence. So you guys are in great, great hands as we move forward. Um, And along those lines, I want to congratulate you guys. Um, It has been a rough go-up for all of us, you know, for the last three, four months. It doesn't matter if you're working, you know, Pee-wees and little kids or you're working the NFL. There's been a ton of uncertainty, and that makes it very difficult. There's a lot of adversity going on, and I feel you. For those Illinois officials who are on the call, I have 2 daughters who are in high school. One's a freshman, going to be a freshman, one's a senior. So we're dealing with the same thing because they play fall sports. So I truly feel your pain. But I wanted to tell you a quick story about myself. Tim mentioned my state championship, uh, 2009. My crew had worked two rounds of the state, or two rounds of the state playoffs, and it was probably our seventh or eighth year of doing it. And in the old days, you kind of worked three years in the first round, three years in the second round, all the way until you got to the state finals. Well, we had been stuck there for about eight or nine years in the second round, every year hoping that we would get the letter saying that we were going to the third. 2009, we got that letter uh, that we were going to be working two rounds. 2010 comes around. And we go to one round. And at that point, I was starting to gain some traction in college. I was a white hat in the college level. And I said to one of my buddies on the crew, boy, should this be the end for me? And he said, you know, let's give it some time, let some wounds heal. And we did, and we called the state of Illinois. And basically said, what do we have to do to get to three rounds, let alone to get back to the second round? And they were very honest with us and had a difficult conversation, uh, but we appreciated it. And at that point, we went to work. Uh, and those nine months were a very, very long offseason. And we worked really hard at making ourselves better and doing the things that we needed to. 2010 season comes around, playoffs come around, and we get one, sorry, 2011, and we get one round again. But now we're back to the state of Illinois. What more do we have to do? And they explained it to us that, hey, you guys just missed the second round. Of all the crews in the state that got first round games and nothing else, you were the highest of the group. So we took our beating and went back to work. 2012, we went from one round to three rounds. The next year, we went to four rounds. The next year, we worked a state championship. And then in 2015, I made the leap to division one. I tell you this story because it's in times of adversity that we grow the most. I would not be where I am today. I would not have gotten a state championship. I would not have gotten into division one, but for what happened between 2009 and 2010. And I tell you this because you're on the receiving end right now, okay? This is your adverse time. However, you're getting better by being here tonight. And that's why I give you a ton of credit because it would have been very easy to take today's message and to mail it in. Uh, So kudos to you. So along those lines, Let's work on trying to get just a little bit better together. When Tim approached me about working the passing game uh, for tonight's presentation, I said to him, great, six, seven hours. We should be able to make a dent in it. He said, that's fantastic. You have 45 minutes. So with that, we decided to get into DPI, defensive pass interference, and OPI, offensive pass interference. But more importantly, we want to talk about the process tonight because the process is what makes the difference. And this has really come down from the NFL to us at the high school level, to us at the college level, is the process. So when we start talking about pass interference, we're talking about indicators, categories, and impact. As we can see on the slides, it really starts with indicators. And all indicators are are their actions. It's something that the defensive player or the offensive player does That gives us a clue that they're now suspect, that something could go bad, okay? If we have the case of a grab and restrict type pass interference, the indicator is that he grabs them. He reaches out and grabs a fistful of Jersey, okay? That's the indicator. Once we have our indicator, we try and figure out if it fits in a certain category. And we'll see the categories here on the next slide. There are six of them for defensive pass interference. There are three indicators, or sorry, there are three categories of offensive pass interference. So let's start with the defensive pass interference. We have early contact, playing through, grab and restrict, hook and restrict, arm bars and cutoffs. If we have a foul, we have an indicator, we have a grab, but we cannot put it in a category, it is not a foul for pass interference. If it doesn't fit in one of these six buckets, It could be something else, but it's not pass interference. If we do have an indicator and we can put it in the proper category, then we need to ask ourselves, what is the impact on the action? Basically, did the indicator have an effect on that action? And in the case of pass interference, we're talking about space. That's all pass interference is. Is the defense or offense trying to gain an advantage with regards to space what the defense is doing is they're trying to limit the amount of space that the offensive player has to make the play okay so they're going to be beat and there's a big hint there when we have defensive pass interference almost 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 always is the defender b and now he's trying to put him or herself back in the play so to do that, he has to gain an advantage some other way because he's not physically talented. He's already lost his space on the field. So he's got to figure out a way to do it, and it's usually illegal. In the case of an offensive player, space is king. When the offense creates an offensive pass or foul, pass or foul they're trying to create space, like on a pick play. One receiver's coming out, blocking a guy, so another receiver can come behind him and catch the ball in space because the enemy of any defense is a player who's in space. We need all three of these components to have pass interference. If we're missing any component, it's not pass interference. So let me give you a scenario. We have two players. We have an offensive wide receiver. We have a defensive back. The wide receiver is split out wide. He runs downfield five yards, and then he runs an out route. The defensive back bites on the out route. With that, the offensive receiver runs a chair or an out-and-up. So as he cuts up field, the defensive player reaches out and grabs a fistful of jersey because he knows he's beat. That's our indicator. He grabbed him. Now the defensive player smart. He lets go right away and realizes that's going to be a penalty. If nothing else happens, that is not a foul. It was just an indicator. Same scenario. Wide receiver goes out, runs the out route, goes to cut up field. Defensive player reaches in, grabs a fistful of jersey. Except this time, when he grabs a fistful of jersey, it causes the wide receiver to dip his shoulder. That dip caused him to lose a half a yard. We now have the category. We have grab and restrict because he had the indicator, the grab, and now he's reached out and he's held him long enough to take a step away, which is the restriction. So we have the first two components. We have the makings of a foul. But now we have to ask ourselves, what is the impact? If that action does not matter, then the best officials are not throwing a flag on that. Let's say at that moment that we have the grab and restrict, the quarterback is being sacked and his knee is fractions of an inch off the ground, the fact that the DB grabbed the wide receiver has no effect on the play whatsoever. We don't want to throw a flag on that. Remember, pass interference are game-changing calls. So we want to be consistent with how we rule on these. What do I mean by their game-changers? Well, if an offensive team has pass interference and all of a sudden they have to overcome Uh, The hump of being second and 25, or let's say third and 25, statistically, they are not going to overcome that. It's very, very rare. So they've given up one of their drives. And as we know, you only get so many possessions in a football game. It's not like basketball. Possessions in football are extremely valuable. So giving one up that way is a huge, huge penalty. It's a drive killer, as we say. Conversely, on the defensive side, let's say that the offense starts on the 20-yard line. They have to go 80 yards to get a score or a touchdown. If we give them 15 free yards, that puts them on the 35. That's almost 20% of the entire distance that they had to go to score a touchdown. A 20% advantage is massive. Maybe even more importantly, even if they don't get the score and they don't gain another yard, Punting from the 35 is very different than punting from the 20 because their punt is probably going to flip the field. It's going to put the defense at a disadvantage. So we want to make sure that we are extremely consistent on these fouls. So as I said, we have our indicators, our clues. As you can see, the defensive player is not playing the ball or on an arm bar. He sticks his arm across the guy's chest to slow him down or cutting him off he's bodying the receiver these are what tells us hey this guy's suspect and he's getting my focus after that we have the categories the six of them we have the early contacts we have playing through and we have grab and restrict these are the big three for high school football arm bars cutoffs hooks and restrictions are less likely I would say the vast majority fall in the first three categories. Why? First of all, it's the talent level of the defenders. You know, is the direct cause of that. They're much more likely to get early contact or playing through because, let's face it, they're smaller and usually not as fast as the wide receivers. And that applies at all levels, all the way through the NFL. Okay, but as you get up in that pyramid, the talent levels get closer. So our default is these three. The other reason is... In high school, the teams play less man-to-man coverage. It's a lot more zone. So you're not going to get a lot of cutoffs, a lot of arm bars when they're playing zone. Okay, we see those more in man-to-man. But these are your six categories. If you see action that you cannot put in a category, then it is not a foul. If you see action that you can't figure out what the indicator is, that is not a foul. If it didn't have an effect, it's not a foul, okay? It becomes a talk to, as we say. Let's skip to watch a little bit of film here. Tim, are you going to run the film for me on this?
0: Uh, Whoa! Well, actually, you, you can. We'll see. We'll, we'll try having you run the film and see how it goes. I can if we need to.
6: No, I love running the film. Okay, so let's cover the defensive pass interferences first. And we're going to go through the six categories. We'll see some plays for each. This is early contact on this one. Now what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the receiver who's at the top of the screen, lined up at the 40-yard line. He is going to run a post play. We're going to watch the TV view, and we're going to watch the replay. Okay. So let's wind this back a little bit. You know, it kind of gets cut out because we don't see the whole view. But when the camera does come to him, he has the defender beat. If that throw is in position, he's going to make the catch for a touchdown. There's nothing the defender can do. However, the defender is working to get back into the play. Remember, he is beat. And because of where he is on the field, we can rule out a whole bunch of pass interference calls. Because we're gonna try and narrow it down. Every time we go through our flag, we don't wanna think of the six categories. When we see our player get beat, we wanna figure out what could happen at this point. When I see a player in this position, he could have early contact if the ball was thrown shortly. We could have maybe playing through, maybe a grabbing restrict. He's not gonna have an arm bar, he's not gonna have a cutoff, he's not gonna have a hook and restrict at this point. Because he's already behind him and beat that way as he comes his feet get caught up thus causing early contact now before we go to the replay of this one thing i like to point out is defenders in my opinion can be in two different positions they can be running behind the wide receiver or they can be running side to side if they are on the same yard line so they're both on the 35 yard line then we're not worried about incidental contact But as soon as that player is trailing the wide receiver, now he has a much higher potential for foul. And he's lost all benefit of the doubt. We still need contact. We still need the foul. But he loses the host advantage. If they're on the same line, he's in good position. He deserves to make the play as well. So let's watch this a little bit further. We'll see the replay. Okay, as we reach this back just slightly, you can see they're running and all of a sudden his foot drags and you can see the black line actually come up as we know from the turf, from the little particles. That is not a natural move. These are world-class athletes, even at the high school level, rarely do they trip on their own feet. When we see this, this is your indicator. The indicator is that there was contact that caused the receiver to do this. As we move it a little bit further, we can say there's definitely early contact because he got him early and the ball still has not arrived because that's the second part of the equation. And then obviously he goes to make a play. If he had that extra half step, he makes that catch. Okay, So it meets all three components, indicator, category, impact. Let's go to the next video, we're
0: gonna see. And, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run the video because yours is, is just a little uh, jumpy. So I'm going to run it now. And so you'll, you'll, it'll be in that split screen. So you just tell me where to go, and, and we're going to go that route now.
6: Fantastic. Okay, so what we're going to look at first, guys, is we're watching Ball State here. We're looking for the slot receiver, the second man in at the bottom of the screen. Okay, so when we start talking um, contact, we're going to watch him get in the body. We're going to watch him get beat. And as all the announcers like to say, he didn't turn his head. Really what he's doing is he's not playing the ball. Okay, so this sends up our antennae that we could have potential for a foul. Tim, go ahead and run the footage. And I'll let you know when to stop it, please. You can run it through the actual play itself. Okay. Tim, if you can forward it just a little bit, go. Yeah, let's go to the TV replay and we'll see a great look of this and the contact that occurs. Okay, freeze it right there. That's perfect. What we have, the defender is not playing the ball. He contacted him early. He definitely affected the receiver's ability to go up and make that ball without being restricted. We're not going to worry about whether he catches that ball or not. It had no effect on whether there's a penalty when we talk about fact it's effect on the action itself okay so the fact he went up and got the ball good for him you know they can always decline the penalty we would hate not to throw it and then potentially have an offset in this case it's incomplete he completely affects the play tim if we can go to the next play we're going to look at playing through the back it's the iowa play coming up okay On this play, we're going to look at the top of the screen. We're going to look at the receiver, the wide receiver at the top. We're going to lose him for a bit, but then he'll come back into focus. Okay. To move ahead a little bit, we're going to go to the replay. It's on the same slide. And we'll see a great look of him getting interfered with. There we go, it's towards perfect. We'll see another angle right after that. You can let it run just a little bit longer, Tim. They'll actually give us the side angle here. What we see is the ball is clearly not there yet. The wide receiver went through the back. Rarely is early contact from the side or definitely not from the front. It's usually from the back. So when we say the defender's beat here, it's that he's in bad position to actually make a play on the ball itself. You know, he has a right to it, but he has to be in that position first. You can let that one play out, Tim. I think they've got a side look.
0: No, nah, it was, it was it coming just, to the end of the clip.
6: Okay. No problem. I think we get our point on early contact. Go ahead and play you the next one, Tim. It's Central Michigan and EMU. And, guys, we're using college clips. The reason we're using them is for clarity. The reality is when you look at this, I know some of your back judges, I know some of your wings, some are on-parsimate referees. Look at it from your position and think where you will be in position to make these calls because it's very different if you're a wing or a back judge in the look that you're getting. Okay, so think about how you can help a back judge on a call like that, early contact, very, very difficult because he or she is straight line. That's usually the short wing's call okay and it's usually a shorter pass it's usually on a hook route five to seven to eight yards okay on this one Timmy, we're gonna look at the slot receiver go ahead and run it tim it's gonna be slot receiver on the bottom you can see the contact right in the middle of the field where db's coming up to make the play it's usually a poor timing play okay the defender wants to get to the ball but in this case he actually lowers his shoulder to get the hit in. As soon as they lower that shoulder, that's your indicator. They are not playing the ball at this point. So they've lost their benefit of the doubt. Indicator. Right there. And then we have the foul itself, which is playing through. And it definitely impacts it because, as you can see, he doesn't complete the catch. Tim, go ahead and jump to the MSU versus Michigan play. Now this is a version of grab and restrict. On this play, we're going to look at the top wide receiver. We'll see a good look of it when we get to the replay view. Tim, just let it run to the play and then we can advance it to replay. And, Tim, can you actually scroll back? I take that back. Can you just scroll it back a little bit as he's run down and stop it when the receiver gets to about the 50-yard line or about the yellow line? Right here, he's B. That defender is now in chase mode. So at that point, once again, he's lost the benefit of the doubt. We're looking for players in chase mode because he cannot make a plan, that player or that ball, without doing it illegally. If we go ahead and we run at Tim just a little bit, we'll see on the replay, it's right after the announcement. As he's running, he's reaching out and grabbing that arm of the receiver. One of the telltale signs is that receivers, unless they're Randy Moss, are not going to go up for the ball with one hand when they have two hands available. If he goes up with one hand, we need to find where the other one is. In this case, the defensive back is grabbing his arm and be, keeping him from being able to extend to make that catch. Go ahead and go to the Alabama-Louisville clip, Tim, next. This is just gonna be a deep ball. The play is going to be in the end zone. We're going to run it back it's just another version of a grab and restrict this one should be pretty easy for all of us especially when we see the play but once again that defender where is he he's behind the wide receiver as soon as he's behind him he is b hopefully you're seeing a theme here you can just let play tim he's got wrist he's got his arm around the inside and now we're gonna see a great look from this angle Believe it or not, if you are a short wing in a five-person game, you may not see that. That's actually gonna have to come from the back, Judge. So we need to think about what we can call and what we can see when it comes to these kind of plays. Because from a short wing, it's gonna look like that timing is probably okay. You're not gonna see that back arm. Grab and restrict. Those are the big three for high school. Okay, these are the ones we see the high majority of time. If you're good at these, you're going to be good at DPI. Let's get to the last three real quick. Tim, can you jump to the IU versus uh, Michigan clip, please? For this one, we're going to look at the receiver who's at the top of the screen. Oh, I think we want to look, uh, maybe. Well, let's take a look. I don't think this is the armbar one, Tim. I think we went a little too far, but we'll see. Yeah. Tim, it should be like play number seven on my list. We'll get to this play when we do OPI. Sorry about that. There we go. Okay, the is going to be at the top of the screen. We're gonna watch the TV, the replay view. Like I said, the defender is in press coverage here and he's run with him. But at this point, he's run stride for stride, but then he starts to lose the step because he's slower than the other athlete. So what he does is he sticks out that arm. That's your indicator. We'll see it on the replay here. I think we get another look at that possibly, Tim, if we keep playing that. There we go. You can see his arms across the chest, and he's keeping his right arm from being able to raise up. So the arm across the chest is slowing him down. And what the players are getting good at is holding that second arm in. Once again, guy reaching up. If a wide receiver gets thrown off stride, we know something's going on. These guys are great athletes at every level. Tim, go ahead and skip to the next clip as well. Okay, here we're going to have, let's see, this is clip number eight. Yep, go ahead, we're gonna be at the bottom of the screen here. Look at the wide receiver, or we're gonna look at the slot. Now this is a little bit of a different arm bar. Just go ahead and keep it playing Tim, we're gonna see the replay. And in this case, the player sticks out his arm, but he does something, a little more advanced. And we're starting to see this at every level. And Steph's taking his arm all the way across the guy's jersey, which makes it pretty clear for all of us. He's actually going to take his arm, and he's going to use it to keep him close and pin it down. You can see as it turns us by there. I think we get a look, possibly. Yep, right there. You can see him holding that arm in, and the player reaching up with his hand. So you ask yourself, what's my indicator? My indicator is he's got his arm out. Is there a restriction? Yes, he keeps him from reaching up to catch the ball. And the third part: what is the impact on the play? He cannot make a play on the ball. Thus, it's a foul. Tim, go to clip number nine, please. This is the fifth category of passing interference that we want to take a look at. This is a cutoff, and all it is is the DB. Uh, Tim, let's see here. Yep, this is correct, sorry. He's going to get his body into the body of the receiver. And he's going to ride him. Usually, he's riding him out of bounds. We see this more on the sidelines because the sideline is is to the help of the defense. So if he can ride him out, we have a foul. Because the offensive player does have his right to the space on the field. You see him get in the bye and just continue to run with them into the white, and thus there's no chance for him to catch the pal. Go ahead and go to the next one, Tim. We'll get to the last category, which is hook and restrict. Okay, here we're going to look for the wide guy in the trips. In these formations, if you'll freeze on the formation when they go to the wide view, Tim, they'll. I'll skip to the wide view here. When we look at these, okay, in college, there are more officials. So we're going to bunch these guys together. When we have five individuals, it makes it very, very difficult to officiate these plays. So what we do is we try and look at the three guys that are down there, and we're going to say, the first guy who's threatened is the person who's the tip of the spear, the first one out. We want to watch his release. As soon as we see that his release is good and it's clear, We're going to float a little bit downfield, you know, a few yards. Because the reality is not all three guys are going deep. Not all three guys are going short. One or two are going to go short. One's probably going across and one's going deep. So we want to put ourselves in the best position to be able to officiate pass interference. Because we have a lot of bodies split out to one side of the field. And this one, Tim, keep your – or Tim, run it through. We're going to look at the – TV and the replay view for the audience, just go keep the your replay. eyes on the, oh, sorry, the widest guy.
0: So you just want to go to replay?
6: I mean, we can watch it, but the replay is the better version. So, yeah, just go ahead and let it run to replay. What we see here, and then we can freeze it when we get to the action, Tim. You can see exactly. Here we have the hook and turn. He's put the, he puts the arm on the back of the wide receiver, and he's going to turn him. And now this does two things. First of all, it makes it difficult for the wide receiver to catch the ball because he's pulling back on his backside arm. The other thing that it really does is it slingshots the DB, who's already in bad position, to the front. By pulling on that back shoulder, he slingshots across the front so he can make a play on the ball as well. This is a very difficult one because really the back judge is the only one who's going to have the angle on this. And it's also difficult because if he doesn't do anything with that hand, then we don't have an indicator. Remember, this is hook and restrict. If he just puts his hand up there, we don't have the indicator. We don't have a hook. We don't have a grab. So no matter what else happens, we don't have a foul for hook and restrict. He's got to do something to pull him away. Tim, we can play the next one. We got Washington and Auburn. We're going to look at the wide receiver at the bottom of the screen. Go ahead and run the TV, and then we'll watch it in the replay as well, and we'll see the action. This is a long, developing play. The player gets knocked to the ground. He's got to come back up, and he's the receiver who misses the ball. Okay, let's take a look at this. tonight. just go through the TV replay because we'll see exactly what happened here. Just a little bit farther. Okay, you can see he's got the hand. He's turning him. He's got the hand on his shoulder, the ball's not there He's using it to slingshot himself into the play. You can see the action because the body is getting twisted as he makes the play on the ball. Okay. those are your indicators. Those are the categories of defensive pass interference. Remember, early contact, playing through, grab and restrict are the big ones for the Federation game. Okay, but they yeah. all occur and we need to know which category to be able to put them in.
0: Well, you got about ten let's minutes left for your for your yep. uh, internal clock. You got about ten minutes.
6: That's perfect. We're gonna jump right into plays here in a second, Tim. So let's talk about the offensive categories. Thankfully there are only three of these to remember. You know, driving through Blocking downfield, pick plays, and creating separation. As I said, they're all about space. The offensive players are trying to create space and drive through a defender and pick plays. They're creating space for teammates. When we start talking about individuals, then we start about, talking about creating separation. Okay. The indicators for these is you know the contact sustained picks the context initiated, you know, crank separation. The offensive player is creating the space by extending his arm, putting it on the torso, and extending it. If anyone wants these slides at the end, I will put up my email address. You can get to MIBT. Glad to get these to you, because these are your clues. Tim, let's go ahead and let's jump to the video for offensive pass interference. It should be play number 12, Indiana University at Michigan State. Yep, it's all up, ready to go. Okay, fantastic. I just got to switch my screen real quick, and we're going to be good to go. On this play, we're going to look at the wide receiver at the top of the screen. Tim, we're just going to look at the TV view here real quick. The wide receiver is going to make a beeline in, and we're going to see the contact that he creates. Right there. So the onus is on the wide receiver. He knows the route. He knows the play. He's not tempting to get downfield. If he had come out and run into guys, but he was trying to get vertical. He was trying to get to the back of the end zone. It's nothing. Even if we think that it's a pick play and he just does a good job. He did it well enough that we're not going to call it. But in this case, you can see he comes directly for the player and makes the contact with him. He initiates that contact. His feet are moving. It's not a pick in the sense like basketball that he got his feet set. He's driving into that player. Once we get inside the 20-yard line, but especially inside the 10, now we are in territory where teams like to pick. They call it rubbing. They're gonna rub each other, but it's illegal. because we can see here, the person's coming in, driving in. That's your indicator. He's looking for the contact. He creates the contact, and the effect is there's enough space for his player to come underneath and catch that ball. Tim, we'll get another look at this. Go ahead and jump to play 13, please, Penn State and Kent State. On this view, keep an eye on the wingback at the bottom of the screen. We'll see exactly what he does. Now, Tim, if you can rewind that a little bit, the player goes on to score. When he comes out, watch as he kind of runs towards the play, he actually takes a step to get wider to make that contact. He could have flanned his route, but no, he continues to go for him, thus creating the space. Once again, for OPI, it has to be initiated by the offensive player because he's trying to create the space for his teammate. Tim, let's go to number 14 as well, please, SIU. The play's gonna be at the top of the screen. It's the wide receiver at the top. Tim, we're gonna watch the TV view real quick and then we'll switch to the end zone view. There's only a couple views of this play. We're gonna lose them and we'll come back. You can see a little bit of contact there, but Tim, let's go to the end zone view of this. You may have to jump ahead.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not coming up here, Woj. That's the end of the clip.
6: Can you go back? To, maybe it's on the very end of the first clip. Maybe they show a view of it. There is a end zone view, but if we can't get it, it's not the end of the world.
0: So wh- which clip what do you we're going to go to?
6: Ah, uh, you know what, Tim, for for time purposes, let's go ahead, go ahead, and get to clip 15, Ohio State and Penn State. All I was going to say on the creating space. The contact by the offensive receiver to create space has to be into the body of the defensive back. If he pushes him on the arm, nothing. We want the contact to be at the torso, from the waist to the shoulders. That's where the push-off needs to be. It's always in the back or on the side. It's almost never from the front. The exception is if he pushes off on the player's head, that counts as well. It's not part of the torso, but basically if he gets his hands on his face mask or helmet and pushes that, that counts as well. In this particular play, we're going to look at TV, and we're going to look at the replay. The action is at the top of the screen. Now, it's that receiver. Tim, go ahead and go to the replay view, because we'll see how he got that wide open in this particular play. They're going to talk about it. You can go towards the low ways, because ultimately, they said it wasn't a foul because the wide receiver was already past the line of scrimmage when he threw the ball.
0: All right, I'll bring it, I'll get back to it. It was in the middle here. Yep.
6: Truly, we're looking for a creation of the space. Here we go. This is the look, Tim, right there. i think this goes into the next here's the look that we're looking for you can see he gives him a push that creates him the space by him taking a stutter step into the body and that's just enough we've got to be aware of this and this is something that two or three officials even a five-person crew should see tim let's go to the very very last one we'll go to play number 16 which is Iowa. And here we're gonna look at the wingback who's at the bottom of the screen, okay? He's gonna engage the defender and drive him back. So when we start talking about creating space, in this case, driving through a defender, he's creating the contact and that creates the space. So the indicator is he is seeking him out. When he comes running out like that, I think he's run blocking. Okay, so that's your indicator. When he makes the contact and the ball crosses line of scrimmage, now it becomes driving through a defender on a passing play, and that creates the space for them to complete this particular pass, okay? That should be the end of the plays. I know my time is virtually up here. I will put up, you know, the last screen so you can see. Um, Please feel free to contact me if you need any information on these, if you want to talk more about the categories, if you want the slides that go with them, that break it out. There's a lot involved in the passing game. Remember, the message I want to leave is you need indicator, category, and impact. If you don't have any of those three, then we do not have a foul because the player who did that did not create enough of an advantage for him or herself to justify the yardage penalty that would go with it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it and enjoy the rest of the clinic.
5: Hey,
6: hey, Woj.
0: Uh, so, uh, maybe we can get Woj up here, possibly. Um, yeah. We uh, we did uh, have a question, I, I guess that did come in. So, uh, we're gonna turn it over to Robert, who is monitoring the ch- or the the text and, and see what
2: the, the question was. Ro- Robert, you you got a you got a question here? Yes. Great job, Jim. A lot of questions. Uh, they're late, but uh, most of them can be answered here. So, if there is an illegal forward pass, does that negate the OPI situation? You wanna answer that for the viewers? So, if there's, I mean,
6: it's one foul or the other. If there's a legal forward pass, then there was no opportunity for pass interference. So, you have to have a legal forward pass to have any kind of pass interference at that point. So, in that case, we would get together as officials, talk about it, say there's no opportunity for pass interference. We're going to enforce the illegal forward pass.
0: Okay, that that works good. We got any other questions? I think, I think we're good. Hey, so Woj, I got to tell you, first, thanks for being here, and uh, we appreciate you going through it. But the guys from Iowa, we got some guys from Iowa who said, hey, we know that guy when he was a, a small official or a younger official, and uh, they wanted yeah. to say hello. They remembered you. They remember you in Iowa, Woj. Can you believe it?
6: I can't, what I can't believe is that was 30 years ago. That's the part that's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> there you go. So, uh, well, I want to thank you for joining us, uh, taking some time out of your vacation. Uh, I mean, we were trying to get this to work, and so thank you so much. I, I hope everybody got something out of it. And, and uh, go back and enjoy the, you know, whatever you're doing in Michigan, of course, we're social distancing and all that. But there might be <laughs> football in Michigan. I think there's football in I'm Michigan. Hoping. So maybe you just want to stay there and work. Who knows? We'll have it's to. We'll thank you for the do. opportunity, Tim. So, all right, well, which, Thank you very much. Well, guess what? It's time for another break, and that's what we're going to do. So it's it's 56. How about we'll we we'll, we'll extend it a little bit till 10 after. So go and take uh, go to the bathroom at 8:10 Central Time. We're going to be back, and we're going to be uh, uh, doing. Uh, we're going to have Bill Amane come on, and Bill's going to be on for a little bit, and then I'm going to come on after Bill. So uh we still got lots of stuff ahead. We've got Matt uh some theme he's gonna be on as well in the next hour after that. So great stuff ahead. Jerry Davis Sports, don't forget, go to Jerry Davis Sports, put M-I-B-T in checkout, you're gonna get 10% off. You'll also, join this great association, you'll see all these meetings from this professional studio, not a Zoom meeting. Not that there's anything wrong with Zoom meetings, but that this is kind of the way we do things, try to bring it to you, you know, high tech to the best possible, bring people in from all over the, the country, heck, all over the world. I want to say hello to our, our uh, people who are watching from across the, wor- the world, across the globe. Like I said, over 500 people in here now live. So we're going to go to a break. We're going to put on the Bill Amani's Best Practice again from 2019. You can also get that as well for 2020. And uh, join MIBTOnline.com. You can get all of them for the last however many years. Yeah, your mic is on, Bill. So we're going to uh, bring Bill Amani in here. See, I'm now in the... Uh, the alternate where Bill's has been most of this uh, clinic. See, we are practice we truly are—we're practicing social distancing because we're all about six feet or so apart, trying to uh, adhere to that. Because obviously, none of us want to get sick, but also, you know, we want to follow, you know, the things that are are we're, we're supposed to be doing. So, uh, once again, welcome to the uh, back to the MIBTOnline.com clinic. Two hours into this sucker, we got two more to go, but trust me, it's going to be great. More football to talk about. And we've got the best. We've got one of the best coming up next. Please don't forget to, uh, everybody's got to check in now. So we're gonna throw the text number up. Everybody check in again for the IHSA people. And uh, you know, Robert's looking at the text and he's like, whoa, crazy text. But that's okay, we got a lot of people. By the way, uh, I'm gonna say this at the end, but if you are an Illinois official, give us time. We're going to uh, give everybody credit. You don't have to worry about a sticker. We're gonna be sending the list in to the IHSA, so no stickers. Um, if, but by some chance you don't get credit. We'll talk about this at the end. But no fretting it for those Illinois folks. If you're not from Illinois, hopefully you're getting something out of this because you may have football this year depending on where you're at. Heard uh, heard a buddy from my, a buddy of mine from South Carolina, Tom Buckner. A lot of you guys might know him from the Chicago area. He moved down there. They're going to have football in South Carolina. So
5: um,
0: also don't forget uh, with uh, Jerry Davis Sports if you order. Uh, through August 7th and put MIBT in the checkout, at the discount code, you'll get 10% off your order. So we want to thank them as well. Well, we got the great Bill Imani. He joins us a lot. You just saw him on the video, him and I doing the best practices. Bill has been a clinician ooh, for a long, long time, internationally, locally, and you know, obviously you know him from ESPN. He was on the national championship game. Bill's got a lot of experience and we're happy to have him. He's going to talk about crew dynamics and how to you know, deal with crew conflicts and... And things that happen with the crew and we welcome bill bill thanks for being here today
5: well tim i appreciate it and uh, so far I've, I've enjoyed this evening uh getting a chance to listen to wojo uh sam knox and robert and i, I want to kind of because it ties into our topic here on leadership and crew dynamics you know robert made that point earlier about you know you don't have the luxury of replay so be your own replay officials that, that's a theme that even when I was on the field uh, in the Big Ten, I used to say to the crew, we've got replay, but quit relying on replay. It's our job to get the call right and do whatever we have to do to get that right. So if replay does review it, they say our call is good. Uh, that's, that's what I preferred. Don't let replay be a cop-out. Um, now, again, at the high school level, you've got to have that ability to step up and help your crew. Um, you know, one of the things that was when I was on the field, there was a particular announcer with, with ESPN that was very critical of me in terms of the number of conferences our crew would have. And conferences was something that I encouraged. I wanted us to, to get together and discuss a call. Uh, but that, that particular announcer was, was very critical that we had more conferences than most crews did. And possibly our conferences took a little bit too long, okay? And so I had a conversation with that announcer and I, I, I said to him, you know, it's this simple, you criticize me for too many conferences, you criticize for how long they took. And I'm going to agree with you, we do more conferences than most crews do. And yeah, many of them took too long. We needed to be more efficient. But you know the thing was, you weren't criticizing us for the outcome, which I'll take any day of the week. I can work at doing less conferences, and I can work at being more efficient in a conference. But I don't want the criticism that we got the call wrong. We're supposed to be doing this for the kids playing the game and not for our own individual egos. So, that's something to remember there, is, is the step up that you need to do there. Um, you know, then the point was made too about, and Wojo made it, you, you find out what you're made of when times are tough, not when things are going easy. And I mean, I advocate that things go easy for you, but, and smooth, but the bottom line to it is, when something negative happens, hopefully it's not a train wreck, but when something negative happens, can you learn from it and bounce back and be stronger? Or are you just going to throw in the towel? So those are your only two options. You can blossom and grow, or you can rot. And that was one of the famous sayings that our friend Jim Keogh used to teach us, was blossom and grow or rot. Those are the only two, two options, and hopefully you're going to blossom and grow from them. None of us like to have those things happen during our games or in our season, but they're going to happen. If you do this long enough, they are going to happen. So let's go through some of these things about leadership first. You know, who's the who's the leader on your crew? Well, the easy answer is it's the referee, obviously. But the referee's the appointed leader, okay? He he gets that as part of being, you know, being the the white hat, you become the crew chief. But the bottom line to it is, is there's a difference between being the appointed leader and being the respected or natural leader, okay? So just because you're the white hat, you need to develop and work on leadership skills. Okay? But at the same time, I don't care if you're the umpire, the back judge, the headlinesman, the line judge, any official on that crew should be able to take a leadership role at some time. And we should welcome that, and we should empower that. Okay? One of the things that I tried to do with, our, with the crew over the years was I tried to get out of the habit of saying it was my crew or what happened many times was, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything except just the way we did business, it was Dick Honig's crew, it was Bill Lamontier's crew, it was you know, Dave Whitvo's crew, etc, etc. Well that's how they identified us, but the bottom line to it was, it wasn't my crew, it was our crew. And that's something I always tried to do was quit taking the word I or my out of it and make it our crew, okay? And when somebody came new to our crew, We wanted to welcome them to the crew. They are part of the crew from day one. And then also when somebody left our crew, whether it was through retirement, maybe they moved to the NFL, maybe they got shifted to a different crew. I always wanted to make that point of picking up the phone and talking to that person uh, personally and thanking them uh, for their contributions to the crew. Because if we're a team, if we're really a team like we say we are, that third team on the field, we need to take and, and have that respect for each other that's out there. Now, the, the term empowerment, I think the best example I, I, I can give you is it came from someone I met years ago. It was, I think it was 2004 at the old Cotton Bowl Stadium. I had General Tommy Franks from the Gulf Wars who was going to do the coin toss. And General Franks called me two days before at our hotel and he asked me if we were going over to the stadium and because uh, he said he wanted to meet with me, and he wanted to practice the coin toss. Well, I explained to General Franks that, hey, it's real simple. The captains come out. I'm going to introduce you to the captains. I'm going to show them the coin. The visiting team's going to call the toss. I'm going to hand you the coin, flip it in the air, let it hit the ground. Don't try and catch it. Just let it hit the ground, and we're done. That's all you have to do. And he said to me, no, I I want this to go right. I don't want to mess it up. So if we could go practice this, this is what we'll do. So we had a meeting over at the stadium. uh, And we were done with our meeting. We went out on the field, and I had the whole crew there. And at that time, we worked a crew of seven. So I had three of the officials on each side of me, like the visitors and the home team. And I had them come out. General Frank stood in the middle with me. And we did the coin toss three or four times. And of course, everything went real smooth, okay? But General Franks was insistent that he had to practice this because he didn't want to mess it up. Well, in our discussions when we were just talking, I was in the service back in 66 to 68. I described it that I was a private, and I was on KP more than I did anything else. So that was my function, peeling potatoes. But anyway, General Franks made me feel like the general and that he was, he was working for me, and, and that kind of struck me, and it was really a sincerity that came out from him. Well we worked the game, months went by, and I, I received a package in the mail, and it was from General Franks, and he had written a book, American Hero, and on the inside cover of the book he wrote, Bill, thanks for your service to our country, every time I watch a college football game I'll be looking for my favorite referee, and he signed it, Tommy Franks. Well, that jumped out at me. He didn't sign it General Franks, he signed it Tommy Franks. He didn't have to tell you he was the general, you knew it. And it was because how he sincerely empowered you to be the best you could be. And the other part of that was that General Franks, I never gave him my address. He had to go and do that to find out where I lived, send me the book, write that. He owed Bill LeMagne absolutely nothing. But that's what he did, and he sent that to me. So that really, really hit home. Well, the story didn't stop there. The next year I happened to work a game, it was down in Louisiana for a bowl game. And so we're down there for the, uh, the, I believe it was the Independence Bowl. We're down there for the game, and that's his hometown, and General Franks is getting an award uh, for his service to our country at halftime. So I told the crew that, hey, We come in at at halftime, I'm going right back out because I want to see General Franks receive this award. So we hit the locker room, and no sooner we hit the locker room and the security guard opens the door and he asks for me. And I see standing behind the security guard is General Franks, and he said, Bill, I need a favor. He said, they're giving me this award here at halftime, and it means a lot to me. But you know how much it'd mean to me if the referee of this game and Somebody who served our country in the service could walk me out on the 50-yard line so I could receive this award. And I was just like in awe, you know. Now, again, General Franks didn't owe me anything, but he was empowering me, and it was all sincerity. So I got a chance. I walked to the sideline. We were out there, going to walk out on the field. And this lady from the bowl looked at me and said, because I'm in my uniform, she says, sir, can I ask why are you here? And General Franks just looked at this lady and said, well, he's going to walk me out to the 50-yard line. You don't have any problem with that, do you? And the lady, of course, looked at General Franks and said, no, sir, that's perfectly all right. He can do that. So there it was. I had the opportunity to, not, I just wanted to go out and see him receive this award, yet he empowered me again and made me part of that. So he taught me valuable lessons that I think were, were important to me on dealing with my crew or our crew. Uh, uh, during the rest of my career, and also I was in the school business as a school administrator. And I think it taught me a little bit too about how to deal better with parents, deal better with teachers and kids. So that empowerment factor is really critical, and I still to this day thank General Franks for for what he did in my career, both on and off the field. You know, I won't go through every one of these, but obviously you have to be a listener. If you're going to really learn, you've got to listen. you don't do that with your mouth moving. You do that with your ears open. Are you a problem solver or a problem creator? And we've all run into those people that, you know, just they seem to create more problems than they're inventing things instead of uh, solving things. And then when it comes to communication skills, you know, I think that's really important. Uh, we have to remember that, that we have to be good, obviously, at our pass interference calls and our holding calls, etc., etc. But that communication factor is really critical uh, in terms of our success. Uh, characteristics of leadership. Again, I'm not going to run through every one of these, um, but again, uh, the, a couple of them that I want to point out is that that you acknowledge things, you know, the positive. That's the easy thing. Acknowledging when somebody really does something well, but also when something's not going good, can you be constructive in that criticism? that it isn't personal, that you can relate to it, show examples of it. Um, One of the things we did with our crew was after a game, we'd get our film back. And yeah, we got our grades, and we got our feedback there. But I went through, and so did the crew, went through that tape. And we would pull seven or eight plays from that that we wanted to use for our next pregame. And I always made sure that I had a play on there that I wasn't happy with myself about my officiating. Uh, because I always wanted to start that off with something that I could do better on that. And then and when we would show a play, for example, if it happened to be Robert's play, uh, and it was a pass pass play or anything, I wanted Robert to talk about that. I didn't need to talk about it. I wanted each official who was involved in that call to, to give their dialogue, give their insights into why they called it, why they didn't call it, how they handled it, etc., and then have our crew discussion from there. That's where it comes from. We've got to, we've got to get everybody involved in a pregame situation there. Okay? Um, the other one, the, the, I'm going to jump to the last one giving credit to others for success and taking responsibilities for failure. You know, when we talk about this thing about stepping up and, and getting involved in things and being your own replay, basically, when you come in and talk to another official, what you're really saying is listen i've got something to add here and and if you listen to me i'll take ownership for this okay we need to take a, we need to talk about this we need to possibly change this call i'll take ownership and that's critical because now if things go right that's great you know we we've changed the call we've gone this way that's great if it's if it's worked out that way but now let's take the reverse of that that i come in I talk to you, we change the call, bang, we're wrong. It's critical that I step up and take ownership for that. That's not your fault, that's my fault. So again, whether the call is correct or incorrect at the end, the key thing about it is, is ownership. And that's what we have to do. And I, I see a little bit, particularly I'll say at the college level, that where I see because of Replay, I see officials not taking ownership. We have to go back and do what's happening at the grassroots at the high school level. We don't have Replay, take ownership for it. Replay is just a tool. If they save your bacon, that's great. But one of the things that some people haven't learned about Replay is simply that it's a mechanical device that can fail. And it's a mechanical device that's run by human beings. So if we're going to get this call, it's going to be on our shoulders to do it. So again, as much as you might say, hey, it'd be great to have a replay, I really like the fact that there, there's a lot of me that says, we could do a lot less with replay. So enjoy, enjoy the moment that you have without it, because it's not always what it's cooked, made out to be. Uh, areas to consider. With this leadership in conflict situations, are you an enabler or a developer? You know, don't in it, don't try not to be that enabler. Be a developer about things. Now, th- sometimes things within a crew don't always go smooth. So how are they handled? Okay. Well, I always tried to do a thing of saying that if we had an issue, I want to talk to that official first, and it's going to be a one-on-one conversation. Whether we do it whether we're together the next week and, and it's a Friday night or before a game. Or, but I, what I want to avoid is bringing a problem up in front of the whole crew. Now, the whole crew may be having awareness of it. They know this exists. But I need to first have that conversation with the individual. Right? And we need to take and try and rectify it there so it doesn't have to be a full-blown uh, thing in front of the whole crew to do. Now, we need to set the bar high. Now, if you want to call it a luxury, we had the luxury of obviously being graded. Uh, Every week, uh, grades would come back. That doesn't happen at the high school level. But still, the thing was, whether you're graded or not graded, whether you're evaluated or not, the key thing is you need to hold yourself to a higher standard than any grader ever could hold you to. You need to hold yourself to a higher standard than anybody else. So if you do that, then you're going to continue to prosper and grow. So be that person that, that sets the bar high. Now, don't jump off the edge of the cliff setting it too high, but at the same time, set the bar high. If you don't set a high standard for yourself, for your crew, it's not going to happen. So we owe that to the kids that are playing the game. Uh, we've talked about the empowerment already. Um, be a, you know, we want to encourage you to be that crew helper, that leader, you know, uh, if you can step up, whether sometimes it's things on the field, sometimes it's things off the field, but every person on that crew is going to have opportunities during the season to be that leader, to be that basically a crew chief. I was even an advocate at one time of saying that crew chiefs, the referee doesn't have to always be the crew chief. Again, that's the appointed position, but it doesn't mean you've, Earn that respect, and that, you, and that's something you have to earn. So, if you're if you're the crew leader, it's because of leadership skills. You've earned it. Okay. Now, one of the things I want to share with you too that we did with our crew was we started this a few years back, and it's called the Rock, and it was a thing about promoting uh, that leadership, that step up. And what we did with this was after the first week of the season. Um, we took, and, and based on how it went, if somebody did something and, and really helped the crew, saved, up, saved us on a play, a penalty enforcement, et cetera, then after we were done with our pregame meeting, we presented this to that individual official, the Rock. And what we did with that was that, that person had the opportunity to bring that home, show it, show it to their wife and kids, bring it to work, put it on their desk, get a chance to brag about it at work and things of that nature. And then the next week, it was their job to award the rock to somebody for something that happened in our next game. And then they'd, they'd give the reason for that. And it was just a little internal thing that we did within our crew. Um, and it, we had a couple ground rules. Number one ground rule was hey, it, it doesn't have to, if, if nothing really happened and it was vanilla this week, then there's no rock to give out. Okay? We'll, you just hang on to it for an extra week. But if somebody really stepped up and did something super for the crew, acknowledge that and we give them the rock so they can do the same thing the next week. And we had no rule that said everybody on the crew had to get it during that season. So, you know, it wasn't like, hey, like everybody gets a gets a trophy. You may get it a couple times this year. You may not get it at all. And just because you didn't get it didn't mean you didn't have a good season. Just that some other people did some things that that needed to be recognized. Then at the end of the year, when it was all said and done, again, I was out of the picture after the first week, you know, because it was being awarded based on the previous person that had it. But at the end of the year, then I presented it for the end of the year award to somebody on the crew for what their, their efforts were during the whole season. So they got to keep it then, and it was theirs, and we got a new rock. So it was just a little internal thing for self-recognition uh, that we had. Robert, you have a question? I do. We have a great question. There's a viewer that wants to know,
2: how do you welcome a substitute official on the crew where you have such a wonderful dynamic
5: and now you've got to blend a new, new body? Well, you know, it was, uh, sometimes it was, you know, you miss somebody that left your crew, but for whatever reason they, were, they weren't there, or maybe it was just a switch for the week because of something. But it was that thing, hey, you got to uh, welcome the guy, got a phone call. I encouraged other people on the crew to do the same thing. Uh, but you've got to do that thing and make the person feel comfortable, you know. Um, and, 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 again, how genuine can you make it? Uh, so that's a critical thing there. Again, it isn't just the referee's responsibility to do those things. Everybody on the crew needs to chip in and do those same things. So, but um, now, expectations, on and off the field. What do you expect of your crew? How do you want them to handle themselves? What do you expect them when they to be doing when they're out there? Um again, these things are pretty self-explanatory, so I, I'm not going to go through each one of those, but the key, the key thing is take and, and be a leader, and a leader has to be genuine. So do everything you can to empower people around you, because if you empower them, when you need something, just like with General Franks, I would tell you this. If General Franks, if I was serving under General Franks, and he needed something done, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Because of how he empowered me, how genuine he was, he showed that you were important. He wasn't trying to show how important he was. So again, just like with the other ones, if you need a copy of this presentation or anything else, just let us know, and it will be available online. Thanks much, and hope you have a great season.
0: Well, Bill, appreciate it. And uh, Robert, uh, we're going to throw it over to you. If, if, with any more questions or anything like that?
2: No, everyone, the viewers are just absolutely absorbing everything that Bill has shared, and the crew chief specifically, again, a lot of text messages about wanting to lead like Bill has led his crews, and that's the beautiful thing about professionalism and learning from the best. Bill there, he explained what his best practice is, and I personally just love the rock award to share amongst your crewmates. That's something that MIBT may be able to leverage a little bit, so uh, crew crews out there that are watching, uh, crew chiefs specifically. Uh, I know that you gained a lot from this and uh, we're gonna have this on demand so you can watch it uh, later in the week if necessary, but that was great stuff. Thank you, Bill. So I want to thank Bill
0: uh, once again for for being here and uh, so I'm gonna switch things up here and uh, kinda go uh, to keep you safe. That's what we're gonna try to do. We're gonna try to keep you safe in this uh, this COVID environment, and I'm going to try to keep it quick so we can get to our next break. So, uh, so officiating in the new normal. We're officiating in this new normal. What does that look like? Well, we need to th- talk about some things before the game. We need to th- talk about things that are going to happen during the game, and we need to talk about things that are going to happen after the game. I, I'm just going to go through some thoughts of stuff that maybe or maybe you have not you know, considered, and it doesn't matter. You know, In Illinois, we're going to play in the spring. This could be going on in the spring. In some other states, they're going to play in in the fall. They're going to play in the winter. In California, they're going to start in January. So things to consider if you're going to go out and work anytime soon. Um, I'm also going to have some other tips for you. All right, so before the game, before the game starts, your crew and your partners. You need to talk with your crew or your partner. Sometimes we work as crews across the country. Sometimes we work as individuals and we come together as a crew. We need to make sure we're all on the same page because what are the risks? You might have a crew member that is not going to work because they are in a high risk category or they have a uh, family member who's in a high risk category. So you got to be prepared for that. This could happen. You have to have these discussions, okay? We have to know this before you start working. Like I said, this could be in the spring, it could be in the winter, it could be in the fall. Have these discussions, see if somebody is actually going to work. Uh, Masks and whistles. So some states are mandating the electronic whistle, some are not. In, in the NCAA, they're mandating either electronic whistle or some, a mask whistle. Um, the NCAA is also going to have the officials wearing masks. I don't know if, it, if your state's going to make you wear masks mask or not, but if it's optional, you've got you to figure out how that's going to go. Are you all going to wear masks or are only a couple of you going to wear masks? You have to be prepared and you have to have these questions answered before the game starts. So you want to know this. You want to try to communicate because these are things that maybe you haven't thought of. Are, are we going to wear masks or are we not? Now, a game site. All right, so locker room or come dressed. I'm telling you, a lot of times, I don't think I'm going to go into a locker room in a school. I'm going to probably want to come dressed. And as a crew, we might want to come dressed. Are we going to even have the same type of pregames? We might pregame on Zoom on Thursday night or Friday night, or you know this way. We might not have a pregame in the locker room. We're, we're probably not. Are you going to trust the school? to keep a sanitized locker room area for you? I don't know. I don't know if I am. So come dressed. You might come dressed and you might, here's the other thing, you might all have to travel separately. You know we're used to traveling together a lot of times to get these, well this, you might all have to get there together, walk out on the field dressed ready to go. And you want to know this before the game how that's going to go. You also want to uh, have communication with the event or the school management on any procedures that they're thrown in because a state might have a mandate and a district might be more um, strict, you know, so you, or a school. So a lot of times how that works on laws, you know, you can have one set of law that governs everybody, but everybody can go a little bit more restrictive if they want. So you might go to a game site and they may have different procedures in place. A lot, you know, we always talk about communicating with the schools. This is, it's become way more important now. You need to know what procedures, if they're going to have a locker room, if you're going to use it or not, where you're going to park how you can maintain that social distancing. So you want to have that communication. Now, uh, before the game also, you got the pregame duties. You know, we're used to walking the field and doing certain things. You know, what are the social distancing requirements? Will there be a requirement for us to maintain that? We may not walk on the field together. We may have to walk out like single file, six feet apart or something. We may go out as individuals. We're not used to that. These are things we have to figure out moving forward. Um, the state, like I said, may mandate, whatever state you're in, they may have some game procedures that you have to follow. So you need to become familiar with those when they get released, if they get released. So that's important. Um, the coaches, this is one of them is like the coaches I heard in like Mississippi, they're not going really, to have that. They're going to have one, one player come out for each team from the coin flip, and you're going to have the umpire and the referee, and that's it. The thing I don't understand, and not to get, you know, this is a very political issue. You know, if you're in a conservative state, they're playing. If you're in a more liberal state, they're not. This should not be, this should not be political. I'm not trying to make this, I don't care. Whatever it is you, your personal feelings are, take them or leave them. I, it, it, you can feel however you want about this, but these are things, regardless of your, your political convictions or your personal feelings, that we still have to consider because they're gonna be mandated. So like, for example, I don't understand, you've got the, the starting receiver for team A, who is the captain, you've got the starting cornerback, defensive back for Team B, who is their captain, because they're the, both the studs on the team. They're six feet apart for the coin flip. What's going to happen the first play of the game? They're going to go like that. So I I don't sometimes understand some of this. I think maybe it's more of a facade. Um, you know, if, if it's safe, it's safe. But uh, that's something to consider. You got to know what you're going to do for the coin flip. The ball or equipment sanitation. So we did an article on the penalty report about you know, There was a volleyball clinic, that, or a volleyball game, I should say, a volleyball tournament uh, last month in Orlando, and they had some electronics desanitizer of the ball or sanitizing system for the ball. Um, maybe that'll be in place for, for the football games, or maybe they're going to want to wash the balls in between every down. You're going to have to know this before the game. It's going to change the way we do things. Nobody's talking about chain crews. How, can you social distance with a chain crew? A lot of times you want them to be uh, three yards behind you. I guess that's... You know, my mat, that's nine feet, I guess, wait, three times nine, three feet in a yard, who knows? Um, Are they gonna be behind you? Are they gonna be too close? Is the chains gonna be sanitized between? Are you gonna sanitize the chains? I mean, these are all things, because you're gonna grab that a lot of times if you have a measurement. Are we not even gonna have any measurements? Measurements are gonna be prohibited. I don't know, but these are things, like I said, that you might wanna think about before you actually go out and, and officiate. I'm not here to give you answers. I'm here to give you questions so you ask the right questions when you actually go out and officiate. Maybe things we haven't thought about yet. Um, temporary rule changes. You know, There's going to be the team box. They did that in college. They're moving the team box from the 25 to the 15. You're going to see that across different state lines. They're going to do these different types of temporary rule changes. You need to be aware of what those changes are so that way you're not, you can enforce it consistently from, from team to team to team. And, and that way you're, you're not, one day we're doing it this way and another day we're doing it that, that way. Uh, other thing about timeouts, you know, how they do the, uh, um, the, the conferences, they may do that differently. So you got to be aware of those temporary rule changes. Now we get in the game, during the game. Hey, any mechanics changes? How about reporting penalties on o 2 os only? You know, we're not going to get together. We're going to just do a walkie-talkie. We're going to break your 1-9 there. You're going to talk on the walkie-talkie to do the, do the uh, penalty re- uh, reporting. Possibly, that's a way to social distance. I mean, a lot of times we gotta get together to figure it out, and when we get together, are we gonna try to stay six feet apart so everybody can hear our conversation? Because you know there's not gonna be a lot of fans there because of restrictions possibly, so everybody might hear the conversation. Um, are you gonna like, institute the one digger policy on a, on a uh, fumble? Only the umpires. Our umpires, you're gonna go in, that's it. Sorry, umpires, you're diving in. We're not, gonna go, we're not touching that pile. But that's a possibility, because now you're only gonna have one person who may be exposed and not all five of you or more. That's a possible mechanics change. Any other mechanics changes that we can think of? I mean, it could be a whole laundry list of things. We could, we could uh, have the, the sideline officials not come in as far. They may just take a couple steps in. They may try to, you know, no player can come, when they're substituting, can come within you know, six feet of you. Like I said, there could be other mechanics changes, Think about them, know what you're gonna do during the game. Approaching players. And that's whether you're gonna approach a player or a player is gonna approach you. Stop sign. If I do this, that, I mean, I'm six feet you know, tall. So that's about three feet. And if I do this, I'm probably gonna keep that person away from me more than at least six, six feet and just stop. You might wanna think about that. That could be with, with players and that might work. You could still have a conversation but you might want to put that stop sign out to kind of keep that distance away to, so that way you can try to be safe. Um, what about coaches? Same thing. We can use that stop sign, but also that restricted area. We've been very big advocates here. That restricted area is for you. It's for your safety. Long before anybody knew what COVID was. But now that restricted area is going to become even more prominent. Nobody can be there. Keep them out of it. You don't want those people in that area area. That's your area to work. That's your area to be safe, not only from contacting somebody, but then also maybe from uh, co- you know, contracting some sort of illness, and we don't want that. So now, after the game, leave. Just leave. We're not going to hang around. We're not going to shake hands and say, hey, this is a great great job, or go to the coach, hey, can I get a rating? Do that via email. Do it later. Leave. Don't, don't s- sit around. We're just going to walk out because that's for your safety. And you might not even walk out. You might do that single file thing again, or you might walk out six feet. You know, who knows? There's, but I would suggest you just leave. You don't, want to, you don't want to hang around and intertwine with fans because that's another thing. You want to try to get through without, you know, getting as close to people as possible. Obviously, this goes without saying, but I threw it up there anyways. Wash your hands and sanitize your equipment. You know, those whistles of whether you're using one in your mouth or your using electronic whistles, you're touching a lot of things, you got flags, you got bean bags, you know, uh, you want to you sanitize that stuff. You want to make sure it's clean, and that way you're not bringing anything home with you, uh, because, you know, the odds are, if you start listening to a lot of the people, you're not going to transmit that from equipment to equipment. It's more about the airborne stuff, but you still want to eliminate any chance that some of that stuff might somehow get on your equipment. Reporting, and what I mean by this is that, report any non-compliance issues to the people that you need to report it to whether it's your uh, signer supervisor state association if people are not doing what is mandated and you know what's mandated you need to report that that's for your safety because you want the next crew coming in to be safe and you want if that happened at another site that you're going to go to next week you want to be safe so Try to report all noncompliance how, through whatever means it is, is being done in your state or region. Also keep, an, keep a you know, mental note of some significant events, things that maybe aren't the new normal or that are now becoming the new normal because of this. Anything significant, jot it down after the game so you don't forget it in case you're asked about it at a later time. Okay, so here's some other tips, other things to think about, okay? Signing a waiver. Don't sign a waiver. I, I mean, well, you can do whatever you want, but I would read that waiver. Now, we are independent contractors, so ultimately they're not going to probably make us sign a waiver because we're an independent contractor anyway. But if somebody gives you a waiver to sign, I would read that waiver. Because all I have the question is that if this is safe, why do we have to sign a waiver? It's like, you know, it goes on, go for, if I, those of you who saw the movie, uh, the movie uh, A Few Good Men, in the, uh, you know, the interrogation scene where the guy goes, why did he pack his footlocker, or why didn't he pad his foot lo- pa- pack his footlocker if he was not leaving? You know, this same thing. Why are they making us sign a waiver if it's safe? Something to think about. Uh, liability. So they're signing a waiver, or having us sign a waiver, so we're, they're not liable. What about you? What about us as the official? The schools are having the, the kids sign waivers, but are we still going to be held liable? MIBTonline.com, if you join as a $59 premium member, we're going to give you a million dollars of insurance. So there's one way, if you're going to go work, at least you'll have some coverage. But you, you you better have some liability coverage, because who knows, the lawyers are coming out. And the only one who's not going to have the, you know I like to say when the music stops, everyone needs to have a chair, and the officials might not have a chair. So they may be the ones they go after, because they're the only ones there to go after. So. Keep that in mind, liability, you want to think about that. Uh, mini hand sanitizers, probably have one of those with you, not a bad idea. If you have a fever, don't work. I mean, I, I don't know if I can say that, you know, if you have a fever, don't work. If you're a crew, have a contingency plan, if somebody comes up with a fever, if you read the stuff on the COVID-19, 99, you know, they got a laundry list, a laundry list of new symptoms they keep adding every day. But the one symptom that 99% of people get is a low grade fever, over 100 degrees or whatever it is. If you have a fever, don't work. That's your number one sign. Don't work if you have a fever, protect your crew, protect yourself, protect the participants of the game. And as a crew, we have to have a contingency plan. We may go four, we may go three. Heck, in the Big Ten and in the Pac-12, they're talking that games that have seven or eight officials may end up having a five-person game if this were to happen. So keep that in mind. If you feel sick after the game, don't keep secrets, especially if you end up getting uh, tested positive. You need to share this with everybody. Anybody who you might have you know, intertwined with, you need to share this with them. Don't keep that a secret. It's important because we need to try to stop the spread of this. And uh, so this is officiating the new normal and I saw Robert, he's got, there's, a, there's maybe some comments, some questions. Robert, what do we got? Oh my
2: gosh. Tim, excellent job. You, a lot of viewers are saying you've touched on uh, areas that they didn't even consider. And that's just fantastic. Uh, this is at the heart of our core minds at the moment. But there are a couple of questions we wanna to pass to you. One is weather delay. How do we handle a weather delay, Tim? A weather delay, that's a great one. I don't
0: know. I can't get. Here's the thing that goes back to like game management procedures. As an official, you need to establish that with the game management. You need to say where we're. We you have to ask these questions. Hey, if there's where are we going to go at halftime to stay in you know, a social distance? Where you know where are we going to go if there's a weather delay? You know they usually tell us that even before the new normal before covid but where are we going to go to stay away from from the masses and and so we can maintain that social distance remember we have rights as officials you know i'm not advocating striking or anything like that but you have rights if your safety is impacted raise your hand and say i don't feel safe let somebody know that because we're the only ones who are going to look out we're going to look out for you here at mibtonline.com we're going to do everything we can to advocate for officials to keep them safe. So you got us here, we're gonna do everything. As an assigner, I'm gonna advocate for officials. I'm gonna make, you need to keep these guys safe. You're lucky they're even there to work the game. Robert. Geez,
2: this is a this is a good one. You work a game and then unfortunately, it's public knowledge that the team that you just officiated with, unfortunately players were are publicly identified as being positive. Okay, so so again, you're working the game and then, you find out the following day that the, the team that you just officiated, unfortunately, has players among them that have tested positive. How do you respond to that announcement since you, you were exposed? Um, punt? No, I,
0: I would say if, if you found, found that out, once again, I'm sure there's going to be protocols in place per each state, how they want you to handle that. I mean, since we're independent contractors, are we medically gonna to have to pay for our own test? You know, there are some discussions about at the college level you know, and some of the higher levels that the leagues will cover. I don't think they're gonna cover it. I think you're gonna to have to go out and get your own test. And unfortunately, you know, it's gonna fall on you as an, as an official. There may be other procedures, like I said, that a state would put out, but I'm telling you, if I hear that there was positive tests on a game that I was involved in, I'm gonna be monitoring my situation. And who, who wants to quarantine themselves for 14 days? I don't know about you, you you're just lucky to go back to work. These are things that we gotta think about. Yes, Robert.
2: Yeah, this is a big one. This is about uh, more clarity on the health insurance that uh, MIBT provides because a lot of viewers are admitting that anyone who becomes infected with the virus there are heavy costs associated with it, and so how does MIBT help in this manner since we're officiating?
0: Yeah, you know, I did, it's so funny you say that. I checked our policy before this because I'm like, man, maybe if our policy would cover illness. It does not cover illness, only injury. So if you're injured in the car, like once you get in the car and drive to the game, work the game, drive back. Any sport except for ice hockey that you work, you're covered from an injury. You're not covered from an illness. You're not going to find probably any insurance that's going to cover you for that under these circumstances, unfortunately. So, yeah, you're going to be out some, some change if you are if you find yourself in a situation where you're ill. And that's why you have to look at all this. We have to balance it. is it worth it? We have an officiating shortage. I am not telling anybody to not officiate. Heck, if I said, Robert, there's a game tomorrow to officiate, Robert would probably be out there right away. He'd get a mask on. He'd put his gloves on or whatever. He's going to go work. If I said, Bill Lamagne, are you going to go officiate tomorrow? Bill's probably going to say no. I mean, it, it's just... It's all a personal choice. So um, we just have to be aware of that. And when we walk out, we have to accept the risk. There are risks. We have to either accept it or we don't. And that might include getting ill and having to pay for our own illness. But I would say this. If you get ill in a football game, make sure you keep all your receipts and write that sucker off on your taxes. Check with your tax attorney, of course, first. But I would write that off if you got sick from that contest that you officiate. I would check on that. That might be the only benefit you get. But ultimately, I don't I don't think we're, anyone's going to be paying for it. That's just that's just a sad thing. Robert, God, more.
2: Well, there, there's like I'm not going to be able to get to every viewer's question. I apologize because there's literally dozens. But one one viewer just wants to say Illinois residents can get tested for free at their nearest local testing center. Thank you for sharing that. But we do have multiple questions, Tim, about the liability coverage. Is that just for one sport or if they, an official does multi-sports, would it cover? And how does that relate to NASL in respect to cost?
0: Okay, great question. Our insurance covers you up to a million dollars of liability insurance um, for any sport except for ice hockey. Any sport you work, umpire baseball, referee basketball, heck, you do, uh, you're a starter on track. You're going to get covered um, for this liability up to $1 million. Now, NASO has a great package. NASO, you get up to $14 million of liability coverage, but you're gonna pay 109 bucks for it, or 89 or whatever they're doing now. You're gonna pay significantly more for that coverage. And I, I mean, if, if you're working a lot of games, I have it. I'm an NASO member. But if you don't have that, especially in these hard economic times, if you want some coverage, well, the other thing is NASO doesn't offer any medical unless you're attacked. If you're attacked by a fan or something, then they'll cover medical. But where we kind of separate ourselves a little bit is we have that medical insurance, which, We'll cover you if you get injured, and that does happen on on a fishing. But we do we have up to a million dollars of liability coverage, so you could have our coverage and ANSO coverage, and you'll have fifteen million dollars and the medical insurance. So, like I said, ANSO does have a little bit more of that liability coverage, but they don't have the medical. What else? What else we got, Robert?
2: You know, do we have Bill mic'd
0: up as well? Maybe we can turn his mic on. I know. I think he was grabbing a bite to eat, and he was he was. Uh, bleeding, okay, he's uh, bleeding
2: over, unfortunately. But uh, I'm, I'm, But uh, I had I had numerous viewers asked this question. So this is a hot topic, and it kind of relates to what Bill was talking about before in leadership. And that is, if you have a crewmate that is, tends to be negative, tends to be difficult to work with, how do you handle that situation? Uh, like We have disgruntled members right now on crews that are wishy-washy whether or not they're going to officiate with them, and then they're very negative about the situation. So, what, Bill, do you have any advice for these viewers?
5: Do you get me on live? Yeah, you're on. Okay, you know the the again the key thing is is that you, you need to talk one on one. You know, uh, lack of a term, but we're gonna we're gonna say be man to man about it. Um, you know, don't say things behind their back. Don't say things about that person to another crew member. If you have that issue, you take that issue to that person and try and get it ironed out there. Um, in terms of some people who want who who are very critical about COVID and those that. Don't think it's as bad, um, those are all just they just have to be your own personal decisions on things but um but the key thing is too many times we deal not directly with the problem, we deal around the problem, and that doesn't get the problem solved. Uh, the only chance you have is is to talk about it, uh, iron it out and um, and move forward from there I think. I
0: don't think as a group of officials, if somebody wants to opt out, like I said earlier, the risk. If you are in a risk category, you, or you have a kid at home that, I, that would be a high-risk category, nobody wants to put their family at risk for this. I'm not going to look down on any crew member, but have those contingency plans in place. Be ready to bring up that new rookie. Heck, we could have a lot of rookies on these games. We could lose, according to NASO, we could lose up to 30% of the officials. That's just the way it is. We just got to be ready to go. If we want to work, you got to accept the risk understand, be understanding of a crew member if they don't want to work because of what's going on and then just move on and, and we'll, we'll just get better together and hopefully at some point this will be all eradicated, moved back to a, a, an old normal, not a new normal. So we've got a couple
2: more minutes for just a couple more comments, i will throw it right back over to Robert. Tim, what have you heard as far as a solution with the ball, handling of the ball and what's going, everyone touching the ball, they, the viewers <laughs> want to know. Okay, so that's what I was saying earlier. If it's safe, it's
0: safe. To think that the ball is going to be sanitized and it's not going to get sweaty and, and nasty in between a play. A players get sweaty. The running back's got that ball. What if the running back is sick? I mean, you don't know because you know players are going to lie. I mean, you know it's going to, heck, they lie about their grades. They lie about this. They lie about their eligibility. It's going to happen. Can you imagine a game star running back you know it's a, it's the biggest game of the year star running back has a point, 100.3 fever you think they're going to say ah, oh, no i really got 98.3 we're going to let him play i'm not you know i'm not that stuff happens unfortunately i don't want i'm not being accusatory of anyone in spe, uh, specifically or anything but we know that stuff happens that stuff happens out there as an official if you've got a 100.3 and you need that 59 dollars check because you use it to keep your lights on are you going to say, um, yeah, I'm 103 today. I'm 98.3, you know, so we understand that that happens. So the ball should be the least of our concerns. You know, the ball in itself is just going to carry sweat with it. And I don't know the science behind it, how long it's going to live on the pig skin and how it doesn't, but ultimately we're all close together anyways. So who cares? You bring 22 players and you put them together. You, you better, everyone on that field, kind of like the NBA model, everybody on that field better be clean because it doesn't matter. The ball isn't, not handling the ball is not going to keep you safe. You just go out there, you put gloves on, and then if you have gloves on, don't touch your face because it's no different if you have, if you don't have gloves on, you just touch your face. So just wear the gloves, don't touch your face, and be very careful about how you handle it. There are no, I've not heard any specifics yet of, you know, that electronic desanitizer, whatever it is, I haven't heard anything specifically come out. If we do, we're going to share a penalty report. We do every week. I call it the COVID report these days, but uh, I would keep an eye out for that. No, nothing specific. I think we got one more question, Rob. we got time for one more.
2: One, one last question. This, This is actually a pretty good question. Okay, so you're willing to work. You understand the risks. You show up at the game site, and then this viewer is asking, and what you see at the game site is unfavorable. You see kids sneezing. You see you know, the coach is not behaving in a sanitized manner and you, you know you're walking into a nightmare. How do you deal with it at that moment then?
0: That's a great question. It's your safety. You're the independent contractor. If you feel that it's no different if you walked out onto a game now and there was lightning and they wanted to play and you saw lightning and thunder and you're like, I'm playing. I, my, my safety is, is 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 paramount here. If you do not feel safe, you don't feel safe. I mean, I would say play the game, do everything you can to make it happen, but then maybe use those reporting techniques at the end to say, hey, this isn't going on. But if you don't feel safe and you get to a game site, then you don't feel safe. And that's why you have to have those contingency plans with your crews, because everybody should feel safe walking out on a football field if they're, if they're gonna do it. And if not, then you know, we might have to go forward today. And they just, the, the team's gonna have to understand that. We're in the new normal. Will they? Probably not. Will you get crap? Probably. I can't tell you you're not, but ultimately, you're in charge of you. And if you're not safe, don't do it. So I appreciate everybody. We're going to take another break. Be safe, everybody. That's the last thing. Be safe. Don't forget MIBT online.com. Like I said, we got that great liability insurance, million dollars, we got the medical. Jerry Davis Sports, you want to uh, order from them, put MIBT at checkout, you get 10% off. We got a great presentation coming to you. In fact, it's going to be coming to you at 10 after 9 central time. Matt Sumstein, he's going to break down the umpire position and how it works through uh, the entire crew. I think it's going to be a great, I can't wait for this presentation. Well, welcome back. I hope you're enjoying those clips of the best practices, Bill Amani's best practices. Like I said, we have that available as, as a member. You get all of those versions online. You can order the DVDs, the flash drives. We've got them all available, so don't forget about that. Hey, do you see this new stuff we're wearing? We're going to show Robert's picture here real quick over there because he's got a white one on. Go, go to Robert real quick. Robert kind of, there you go, there you go, there he is, there he is, you see that? We got these great new GARP. We're going to have swag coming your way. Our, uh, in fact, we're going to, Alex, who's been doing a great job, by the way, he's in the control room. Alex is literally in the control room. We're going to throw up his video here real quick. See, there's Alex. Alex Ben is the guy running all this stuff behind the scenes. How you doing, Alex?
2: I'm doing very good. It's, <laughs> it's very rarely I get to flip this microphone on, but it's... <laughs> It's always such an honor
0: so alex has been helping us out with with our uh, our website and we're going to eventually have a a page up to have this apparel if you want to get some mibtonline.com swag so uh also don't forget jerry davis sports like i said you put in m-i-b-t you're going to get 10 percent off don't also don't forget hey join we're going to have a meeting next week next week we'll be here 7 p.m central you want to join us we're going to start our our, we're going to do our meetings we're going to have them isn't this great? I mean, it's not a zoom thing. You actually kind of see us. We bring it back and forth. So, all right, let's get on it. Enough of me talking. We're going to go to a great, great presentation. Now I want to, I sound like Donald Trump there. Great, great. It's great. Um, uh, I, I can make up words. The greatest, greatest, the great of great that we have. Uh, Matt Sumstein is from Hawaii. You know him, the refereeclinic.com. The Hawaii uh, videos, is, he's just, and I you know, I apologize, but everybody just kind of knows you as the Hawaii guy. Um, he's an NFL replay official. I appreciate him taking some time to join us, and he's got a great presentation tonight about, like I said, about the umpire and how the umpire works with a crew. So, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you, and we look forward to it.
4: Well, first of all, can anybody hear me? I guess that's the question.
0: Oh, yeah, we got you. Nice. You're good.
4: All right, good. So I've got a, I've got two systems up. I got a share screen going, but I found it uh, somewhat ironic that you showed a picture of Alex during an officiating clinic wearing a play dirty T-shirt. So I thought that was appropriate for the day. All right. So like uh, like Tim explained, I was uh, working on some things with umpire mechanics, and I really have kind of transformed this into a a transitionary training session for pretty much everybody who works a field. We're going to discuss five-man mechanics for the most part, but if we have questions popped up and enough time to go through it, we will do that. Now, some of this is going to require that you just get my isolated uh, screen so you don't have to show me anymore my dirty shelves behind me, but I'm going to go ahead and start out and I'm going to stop on a, a diagram that was given to me by uh, Dan Romeo when I worked on his, in when when I worked on his crew in 2005 or six or seven, so I've been holding on to this diagram for quite a while. Ah, so I'm a little bit expanded on your screen, so you're not seeing the whole thing, or at least oh, at least I'm not. So at the very top it says uh, it says fly zone. So let me see. eh, we'll just work with it. So what this, what this shows is a free kick diagram. I know it's a seven-man mechanic, and I'm not worried about the kickoff line being the 35 or the 40. Let's just deal with the concept. So the concept on a free kick is that we have, thank you for that, that's looking better. The concept on a free kick is that we have a fly zone and we have a strike zone, and that's critically important to officiating from every position on the field in a free kick. I believe this concept was started in one of the coaching staffs, maybe Nevada, because they were involved in the Reno clinics in, in 02, 03, 04. But I really have held on to this and it helped me officiate quite a bit when I was working on the field. So if we convert this to a five-man, and I know that the NFHS has all kinds of different formations where you might see an H here and a U here and and all kinds of things like that. But let's just Let's just go with right now that we're going to work a two up, a two top and a three down. So, we'll say we'll say we've got a we've got this position, this position and then three down. So, if we're working a five man crew and this is our kick mechanic. And I'm not saying it is. This will give you a pretty good idea of how things develop. So, What I like to do, and we don't have to bring the back judges onto the field, we don't have to bring the umpire onto the field, although the back judge in this case will be ultimately responsible for the goal line. But because most kicks end up around the 30-yard line, this is really designed for that concept in mind. So the fly zone is the area where you get the kicking team and the receiving team. The receiving team is basically backing up for the most part and the kicking team is in full charge. So the types of fouls you would normally see in that particular area would be low blocks first, and then holding. Sometimes you'll see a reverse takedown, sometimes you'll just see a restriction. It has to be pretty big to call it in the fly zone, because that's really way up top. By the time you get to the strike zone, the receiving team is setting up, and you're having some pretty high impact collisions. You also at this point probably have the receiver with the ball, and you're starting to see your wedges form, which in high school wedges are still a legal type of of blocking formation. The strike zone, you're gonna look for low blocks also, uh, primarily reverse takedowns, blocks in the back because you have trailing receivers now because they've passed each other through the fly zone, and also targeting because in these high collision impacts, people are somewhat out of control. And as they come down, they, at the last second, they try to protect themselves and they do what I refer to as a blind strike. And a blind strike is a terminology used when a, when a person just lowers his head, meaning his face is facing the ground and he has no idea what he's gonna run into because the environment is changing in front of him. So if you see that, you're likely to have a high impact crown of helmet collision. If you, and if you do, Then the onus is on the person who initiated that blind position. So I'm going to go ahead and go into a couple of videos and show a couple of these uh, instances where we have strike zone collisions and things that that can occur. Uh, If we have any questions, I don't know who's monitoring the chats, but we can, uh, you guys can interrupt me at any time if you.
0: Now we got we got you there, uh, Matt. If we got anything, Robert's uh, taking a look, and I'll we'll let you know.
4: Okay. So I'm gonna, uh, let me back this up just a little bit. And my capabilities here are limited with regards to this because I'm not on my iPad. Okay, so we're gonna start up our formation. So as we talked about before, in this case, we are kicking from the 40. So here's our restraining lines. So the first 25 yards or so, this is gonna be our fly zone. Everybody's familiar with how the receiving team backs up. In fact, you can start to see them backing up already. Let me clear this out. So as we start it, this is a really long kick. And you can see that there's no activity happening here. Everything, everybody's in the retreat mode, which is pretty typical of a free kick. And in this case, you can see the ball's kicked deep into the end zone. But what's our referee doing in the upper or in the left-hand corner over here? He's all gunned up. So he's, he saw something what you can already anticipate was that that was a strike zone hit. So let's go ahead and move on to the end zone view and the resulting injury. So as, as we watch this, it's, all, it's pretty apparent to a lot of people on the field right now that this is going to be a touchback. There's a couple of people way up front at the very front edge of the strike zone that are still participating but most of the people who are deep know what's happening. And if you'll focus, you can probably already figure this out right here. This is where our action is going to occur. And we get a low strike. So when I say low strike, I don't mean a blind strike, I mean an illegal low block. So the referee who is aware enough to understand the strike zone did not give up on the touchback, did not watch the ball into the end zone, maintained his focus uh, at the strike zone and was able to pick that up. If we go back to the original formation, let me get back to that, then you can see that this is not the mechanic I was talking about. This is a three up, two back mechanic. So depending on what mechanic you use, it will determine who is more responsible for looking for those positions. But if this is your umpire position, then our umpire position would probably just come down maybe seven, eight yards. Our back judge, if that's who's working that position, might come down 15. Just don't overrun the the return because you don't want to be chasing the ball if it's a long return. All right, let me get back to my next play, and uh, just an FYI, that was a injury as a result of that illegal low block, and it was determined by the referee because this was in the open. It was very clear that low blocks are illegal on all kick plays, legal kick plays and that this was intentional and unnecessary so he did disqualify this player for this block and i supported that as a flagrant hit i think i have your volume off but that's what he's telling everybody he's out for the day Okay, so fly zone, strike zone, again, this is another play. And there's a couple of things I want to bring up in here. But just to reiterate, fly zone, strike zone. Clear that. So everybody's retreating, as you can see. And our first contact really starts to happen about in this area. So that is the strike zone. You can also see that we have a wedge formed here. That is still legal in high school. However, interlocking is not. You may have heard the term interlock blocking, but that's a little bit misleading because interlock blocking does not require a block. It only requires the interlocking of the arms in order to maintain your position. So in this this case, I don't know if you guys can see my cursor. You can't, okay. In this case, I believe these two are interlocked If that's the case, try to put this on the return. That will be your spot of foul. And it's a foul already as soon as they start moving forward in that position. As we come up, I wish I had a little bit better control of this. Let me back that up just a little bit. Sorry, guys. Little quick. Okay, so you just you just take a couple look at stop frames, and if you remember the first slide that I talked about, what you look for in the different zones, the fly zone is pretty much already disintegrated. We're all in strike zone. So as you break up your field, if this is your 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 umpire, this is your back judge, you can see you've got a guy here, and in this case we've got a uh, we've got a two back. So this is a three up two back. So your referee is is primarily going to be responsible for the ball carrier if he's on his side as he approaches this area. Your umpire is going to pretty much zone in, but what I would like to caution you on is don't fix yourself geographically. Because as you can see, there's three white shirts here, one yellow shirt, and nobody's doing anything. So if that's the case, then what you need to do is you need to check in and get the next area of concern, the next area of impact. So really it's going to be who tries to break this wedge. So this is gonna be your umpire and whoever's coming up from this direction. When you start to see these guys come together, if I can get a clear enough view, you'll see, ah, uh, oh, dang it. Little control issues, sorry. So you can see when that guy approaches the wedge, he lowers his helmet. I'm gonna try to pull that back one more time. See if I can't maintain a control over this thing. So as he approaches this wedge, he lowers his head and goes straight into it. So you've got a problem with this approach right here. I don't know if you can see that, but he's but he's running a little bit low. So you've got a problem here. You've also got a running back, who I believe is still here, and he's advancing. So our umpire would have the best look here. Our back judge is cleaning up any action in here. If this is the referee, he's probably going to be looking for this contact. we got another one here. So let me clear all this out. Hopefully, you guys can see it. And you saw that hit, I don't know if you could see that, but the defender did lead with his helmet, whether or not he initiated with his crown, I don't know because the video is a little distant, but somebody has to have eyes on that contact and you have to try to put into your, your preloaded vocabulary, is it a blind strike? So that was a blind strike, whether or not he initiated with his helmet or not is the question and, and you can only tell that if you see the entire approach. Let me see if I can pull into a punt. All right, so I want to talk about umpire turns on punts because I think there's a little bit of lack of coordination as to how the field is is split after a punt. Matt. Yes. Before we get into yes. that, uh,
0: Bill, Bill has got uh, a question or, or, or a comment here. He wants to uh, jump on in. Bill, what do you got?
5: Uh, Matt, you brought up a point that, that I've stressed for years is that we're responsible for all the contact out there. Sometimes we get into this mindset about make sure you see the files. We need to see the legal actions and the illegal actions. It's tough. There's t- 22 players out there. There's a lot of contact going on. But that doesn't absolve us from our responsibility to know what's happened legally and illegally
4: yeah and that's a good point and that's that's kind of the check down concept so if you have an area where nothing's happening don't watch that area check into the next area of responsibility and that really is a geographic check down so you start in one area you go to the next area next to that if you got nothing there go to the next area next to that until you find something that you can Officiate, but that's what that's what your job is out there. So great, great point, Bill. Thanks for bringing that up. So I want to bring up some some mechanics on a punt. So this is a typical setup for a punt. So we've got. I'm just going to assume that this is our head linesman. This is our referee. Our umpires here. Our line judges here. We've got chains and boxes on both sides. So let's just make that assumption. So the referee who's lined up most of the time on the kicker's kicking leg. So in this case, the umpire is lined up right on this hash, which is fine because the referee is kind of closer to this half or hash or halfway in between. The question is, what's gonna happen after the ball is away and who's responsible for what? And and this is where the umpires, not just on scrimmage kicks, but on scrimmage plays, need to know what the referee's responsibilities are and who the referee's keys are in relation to what you're watching on the line and what is happening during the play and during the kick transition. So in this case, what I, what I like our guys to do is if we're lined up in this and he kicks that ball from this line, the umpire finds a hole, gets himself turned around And the umpire, when he clears the punter, gets on that hash. And they work the field up so that they're splitting it equally and not trying to look through each other and duplicating our efforts. Especially with just five officials, that becomes quite cumbersome if you start looking through each other. Oh, that's not my eraser. All right, so let's get rid of this. I'm going to try to stop this right after our ball's away. So there aren't many times where we have an official that has to spin on a play. We have two instances with an umpire, three if you work the National Federation kick mechanic. The first one is a pass over the middle that you want to turn on and rule on a trap. That's a spin that we can't get away from But visually, you're handicapped until you stop, refocus, and it can evaluate the action coming in. So it has to happen very quick, and you have to be set. You have to be very aware for that turn and spin. On a punt, we have a turn and spin. Once you clear the action in front of you, you turn and spin. The problem is the washing machine is coming right through you. So what I suggest to my guys, and I got this idea from uh, the umpire that worked the national championship, Frank Villar. He said, most of the action up here happens quick. It's either a grab takedown to prevent the kicking team from getting down the field, or if it's to prevent a block, it's a, it would be a hold or a takedown the other direction. Once those are clear, find yourself a hole so you can do your spin. So basically, you're shortening the gap of the wash, the, the, the wait time before you're safe to turn around. So the faster you can turn around, the, the quicker you can then focus on the activity as it develops instead of jumping into activity and trying to piece it together, which, which mentally we have a tendency to do, but in reality, and you've heard it a million times, you have to see the whole event. So we don't wanna make calls that we think we saw the whole event. We wanna, we wanna shorten that distance and get in there and try to, try to get our turn a little bit quicker. This is also why if you're experimenting with umpires in the backfield, and I know there's a small college group that's doing this, they're putting their umpire in the backfield on punts. So that, that prevents the umpire from having to spin. So we will probably try that if we have a state tournament this year. But um, if in lieu of that, try to shorten your gap so that you can get your turn done quick enough so that you can manage the return, which is where most of the action occurs during a punch. So Matt, Matt it's uh, Tim Kiefer. I wanted to uh, just jump. you know obviously, like you've
0: mentioned, states have different mechanics and this and that, and that's fine, and, and everybody kind of does things a little bit differently. I know in Illinois, we always put the referee on the headlines or, I'm sorry, on the line judge's side, regardless of foot because the line judge is going to go at the snap. But one of the things I think, you know, if we we can go back to the clip, if we can go wide on it that I'd like you to talk about is if you look at the referee and uh, maybe we can go wide on his on his clip. Oh, yeah, because OK, so you look at the referee. Now, my question is, is why? you know, the referee is looking at the punter. Why? Um, I would think that you'd want to be focused a little bit to the right and let the ball take you back to the action on the punter because wouldn't you want to see what's coming around the right side? Now, like I said, maybe your H is staying here, but if, you, if it's another type of mechanic where that guy's starting to flow, wouldn't you want your, your uh, referee to kind of help to the right there?
4: It, well, it's a good point, and I think Bill could probably jump in on this too. My personal preference for referees is to get yourself a little wider if you are in a compressed field. So in this situation, because he's in a compressed field, Um, and he's worried about the end line. I can see why he, he might be more concerned about that foot during the snap, but you're absolutely right. If he were to position himself out a little bit further, then he would be able to tell in his peripheral vision that he's got a gap, and he could watch whatever side he needed to watch from a key standpoint while the ball's coming back and still keep an eye on that foot that we would be concerned about because we're snapping at the five. So if we're, uh, if we're snapping at the, at the 10 or the 15, we don't have an end line to worry about. So if, if we're looking at the punter, it's, it's just because, you know, he's probably related. So we do want to, uh, we do want to focus on, on our other jobs as well. And if your referee's job, depending on your league, if your referee's job is to watch this guy, for instance, then the umpire needs to be aware of that, and he needs to shift his focus. We don't want to double watch somebody who's already taken. And this is, this is really a missing key in our, in our discussions, our pregame discussions, our training discussions is, who are you on so I know I can shift down? We also don't want these guys taken off too early. I know that when you guys work youth football and pop warning, you say, well, take off at the snap. Forget all that. In youth football they don't kick that far, and in high school we have a back judge. So stick around here. You can get down the field as far as you need to get to work the play so that we can manage this end that might get held coming around, or uh, conversely, this guy trying to get around who gets held trying to get down the field. Well, so I, we think do have, we do, I think we really have to talk about who's looking at who and understand that so that we can not double cover.
0: No, and, and I think your, your point is great, Matt. And like, like I said, in, in some states, even as a line judge, if you are moving down at the snap, you still got to officiate what's behind. You can't just put your head down and go because, like you said, you could have a, a block or something that's going on there at the, at the line of scrimmage, and if you're just putting your head down and going, you're not doing anybody uh, any good there. So even if the mechanics have you moving there, still officiate back because that's where all the action is. Uh, uh, you asked Bill. I think we got Bill up. You, you, what do you got, Bill?
5: Yeah, I was just going to add, uh, you pretty well summed it up, Matt, that I need to know if I'm the referee, you're the umpire, you and I both need to know where we're looking, where we're focusing, and set our mechanics up for there so we don't double coverage. And and that's true on every play. I was always a big believer in that, even from a regular play from scrimmage, I wanted as the referee to read the formation, and I wanted my wing officials to realize, based on the formation, I was gonna try and maybe take uh, coverage to a certain area because I knew that wing official was overloaded at the line of scrimmage. So it's it's real That's critical that point. you know what I'm doing, I know what you're doing. We have to understand each other's positions.
4: Yeah, and, and another thing I was thinking about today, Bill, was when we have our natural timeouts, for instance, if we have a media break or if we have a one minute timeout after this, and there's any question as to what you were supposed to be looking at based on the format, use that minute to find out, hey, ref, were you on 77 or were you on 76? Just so that the next time you line up, you don't, you don't uh, cross coverage that way.
0: Totally agree. And I, I think uh, Robert's got a question for you over here uh, from the, from the uh, texting, what do we got? Jeez, great
2: job. Hey, listen, I got a comment and a question. The comment is we had a, a, a veteran official state that as an umpire, they stay on that center until the center raises their head up and comment on that, if you don't mind. And then lastly, uh, relative to the umpire, when do they move forward? When do they step forward? And then uh, do, is, there, is there a distance there or do they, you're more concerned about just getting into a free space? Please comment on both.
4: It's, e- it's easier in a spread formation. So I talked to Frank about this a couple of times and again today uh, just to, to try to gain an understanding of his perspective when he works those, those punts. And he said in a spread formation, it's much easier because everything is in the open. So he says it's, it's, it, it, because of two things. Number one, it's real easy to see who's holding who. If it's a a big rush, if if a team's down by nine late in the game and they think they can get a safety here, you're going to have a big rush. In that instance, you do not want to move up until you're sure that it's absolutely clear. But if it's not a nine-point late in the game and the defense needs nine points, then they're probably going to punt this. So that's a situational awareness that you just have to put into into your bank. But as far as holds on the line, it's super fast if the offense is trying to release and the defense wants to hold them it has to happen quick if the if the defense is in a power rush and the offense wants to hold them you're going to see a swing and a drag so those are those are very quick events once that initial surge is over his advice was find an open spot move to it and as soon as you you're safe as soon as you're safe from the wash if you find the right open spot that's when you make your spin does that cover that Yes, excellent job. Okay. Okay. And I told Frank I was going to talk about him today, so I don't even know. I don't know. He might have signed in. So we're going to go through this uh, another thing. So as you can see, our umpire here here has not yet fully turned. So in this case, you're going to be missing some of the – and we also, in a punt, also have a fly zone strike zone. So in any long kick, you're going to have that. So what we would ideally want is we would want this flip to already have happened. And because our umpire is working this region, he's got two interested parties. Our, uh, our wing officials would have come down, they work front edge. So they're gonna work front edge, he's gonna pick up this guy. Our referees clean up. So as long as everybody knows which lane they're in, then we'll always have a cleanup. we'll always have a front edge, and we'll always have uh, have the, this next concern covered. All right, let me see if I can't erase that. I've got a, uh, oh, and then we have another thing at the end of this play, and I wanna emphasize this. By the way, this is about a 55 yard punt, so a little unusual, a very clean tackle. And what I don't like is this action, That uh, that's taunting. And, I, and it doesn't matter how quick it is. If they stand over him and they, and they bark, whatever signal they're barking, that's taunting. So in that case, we have a double. I'll show you another look at that. But what, our, what, our, what I want to point out here is our referee started here. So if after he cleared the punter, he just came down here, that would have been perfect. You see what I'm looking at now? So that's, that would split your field. That would give you an opportunity. This guy's a little sleepy. He should, be, he should be running and looking at front edge. Our back judge looking at our receiver. So if he's looking at front edge, he's picking up this, this data right here. The, the back judge has to stay with the receiver because the receiver could signal late anytime the ball's in the air. And our other edge is going to come down here and he's going to be looking to clean up that run that sweeps around this area. So he'll probably be When when this group reacts, then this is going to get picked up from here. I know I'm sketching up a lot. I'm sorry for that. But there's a lot that happens in football. And then, like I said, if our referee comes over here, he's got cleanup. So, again, everything covered as best we can with a five-man mechanic. Let me clear this out. And then we'll give you a look at this little... Action here. This is not acceptable. So you can you can double up on that. You got two numbers, two first unsportsmanlike for disqualification purposes and a lot of extra yards. The funny thing is is those guys didn't do anything. Right? This guy comes in, makes a great tackle, gets up, he's professional about it, and then his other two kooky clowns get over there and taunt that guy. So Uh, We're not finished with the play until everything is cleared, right? The colors are separated. So we talked a little bit earlier about a spread formation. This is a spread formation. So that would make it much easier for you to, uh, to clear that action and find yourself a hole. Now, the reason I bring up this play is because during this play, our punter scrambles. Now our umpire is already on this hash. Our referee will go with the punter. So try not to get all the way into the sideline with him because you never know if he's going to back out. But theoretically, if he kicks the ball, you've still got that hash. So what I want to caution against umpires is if we have a play, broken planned or not, If you already understand that this is your spot, unless the punter rolls your direction, then the referee is gonna roll your direction and you're gonna back into the other one. But unless that happens, this is your line, unless the ball crosses the line of scrimmage. I mean, other than by punt. So let me go ahead and play this out. Also, umpires, on punts, Uh, There's a lot for the the, the back judge and the wing officials to work on because they're taking the front edge. So you have to know if you have a broken punt, there's a high probability of a legal man downfield if they throw the ball, which was the case here. So whenever you have a punt, just think, do any of these front guys go downfield? And here it happens immediately. And you will also see... The low block that the referee needs to pick up. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it happened right here. So we're going to go ahead and back into that. I don't think your your referee is going to be able to see that. I'm sorry, your umpire is going to be able to see that most likely, because uh, again, it's downfield players and what's happening on the line. But this is this is an illegal block in a kick formation, whether there's a kick or not because the free blocking zone is gone. So as soon as this illegal low block happens, hopefully the referee's got a good look at that if he's in his proper position and can see through that. There's no threat to the punter, so that should be something that's pretty easy to pick up by the referee. And then we also saw those guys run downfield, then we got a pass that crosses the line and all kinds of action. And you remember what I said about, I'm gonna back this up, Remember what I said about the umpire holding your line until you're sure? So when that when that happened, he had already taken this next hash. So now we've got a referee here and an umpire here, and we're starting already to have to look through each other. So be careful about changing your position until you're absolutely certain that, that you're going to be in a better position to help the crew.
0: Hey, Matt, just to let you know, you got you got about 10 more minutes, Matt.
5: That ain't enough time,
4: man.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. we could talk all night, but, you know, it's it's almost right. kind of o'clock here. People I'll go through this
4: bed. one. I think I got covered what I needed to cover. Uh, we had a little mechanics problem at the end of that. I want to talk again real quickly about the open spot. So our referee is going to be here. He's looking through. I can tell you that this will be a low block. Not likely for the umpire to see if the, if the umpire knows that the referee has got this tackle and therefore also that end, then the umpire is gonna probably be picking up this area. To answer the earlier question about the snapper raising his head, if there's nobody over the snapper, one second is a reasonable period of time. You don't have to watch him if he's not, if he's standing all along with his head down. So what, he, once he has an opportunity to lift his head, he's good. I don't think I answered that the last time. So you see the low block here, and you can see your opening. Remember we talked about find a hole? So you can see your opening. You can come right in here, turn around, take your hash mark. The referee will be on this hash mark. No quick whistles. (laughs) All right, so stack formations, umpires, referees, and back judges. When you have a stack formation like this, meaning everybody's tied in, we got four people in the backfield all through the tackles. We only have one eligible receiver on each end of the line. This is about as stacked as it can get. That You see this a lot with teams that run a big bull rush. You also see this a lot near the goal line. If you see this formation, obviously we need to know where the referee is looking if it's here, where the umpire is looking here. But more importantly, in stack formations is what the back judge looks at. Because what would the back judge look at? I don't have a key. I can take the play off, right? No. You are now responsible for linebackers, and whether they low block or whether they are low block. I know that's, that's probably not something that a lot of you have heard before, but in a stack formation, that is your job. So I'll give you an example here. See if we can see it. I think that was the only view I had, so that's not great. The, I will tell you the wing called that one, and I'm gonna give you a better look here. So here's another one. Although we do have one wide receiver, this is a, uh, a team that likes to run. In fact, it's the same team. They're in an I formation. So if you can, we've got uh, back judge's key is actually a little bit off center. But his cover man is here. So really, there's not a lot to worry about from a, from a passing standpoint based on the formation, the team, and the location of his cover man. So if you're able to pick up the linebacker that low blocks, who happens to be here, whether you're the umpire or the uh, or the back judge, that's going to be a great pickup. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at that. There's an end zone view, so you're going to get it. You're going to see an open up view of that. All right, so there's your ditch. So if, if you can transition and you know the type of team you have and you can jump into that open gap, that's going to be a great pickup for the crew. Umpires, if you are on that side of the field and you're watching that Back grouping. If you happen to be in this, this area right here then you may be able to pick that up if you shift a little bit. But I know you're worried about the run coming through, so I don't want to put you in any danger. But your back judges can really help in those plays.
0: Hey, Matt, you know that's a great play to show yep. because um, I think as officials, especially at the high school level, we don't, we're, never, we're not ready for that one. And I think sometimes it catches us by surprise when that defender takes out that, low, or that lead blocker low. And I know, for me personally, I might miss it the first time, and then I'm going to be looking for it, but I shouldn't miss it the first time. I mean, we need to catch that because that is a safety foul, and I think that's an excellent point because we have to have that on our radar as a potential uh, blocking situation that the defense can commit a foul there. I just see that one missed a lot.
4: And, you know, there's a lot of times that we need to preload information. And this is a good example of one here, too. I've highlighted a player. So this is an unusual formation, and this should alert you to an outside blitz. If you have three defenders covering two receivers on the outside, that should alert you to an outside blitz. And there's no way that the umpire is going to pick it up from this position. Now, uh, I'll go ahead and run it through and let you guys see how this occurs. But the only way to pick this up is if you recognize that you've got three on two defensively and you anticipate that move. So even though, and I would put a higher priority, I would put a higher priority on that, that move, that blitz inside than I would on, on this press coverage. And I know press coverage, we've always said, press coverage, watch hands to the face. The, the low crack back is more dangerous than hands to the face. So if you have a three on two, just be aware of it. And if he goes in, go with him visually. About five That's minutes. left That's a tough after... one to pick up. That's the only way you can pick that up.
0: I don't know if you caught that, Matt. About five minutes left.
4: All right. I'll see you. And I'm I'm I might have to skip something. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh boy
4: overtime we're going to overtime all right no this is the last play but this one's complicated so we'll try to finish it so first off ah oh, crud all right first off let me back that up just a little bit all right what we need to know here and, and this just all goes to being aware of what's happening on the field. We've got an eight-man front. If you've got an eight-man front, then the chances are you're not going to have press coverage, and it frees your wings up to check the inside moves. And in this case, because let's just assume the referee is here. Let's just assume that. So the, the umpire recognizes that and says, okay, I might have a piece of this guy. I got a couple linebackers. All right, I'm going to shift over to here. Because we have an eight-man front, we know we're not going to be in press coverage. Our line of scrimmage person m- needs to recognize the eight-man front and see what happens on this end for a number of reasons. Pull and shoot by the defense to allow the guy to come around the corner or a grab-and-drag by the offense so that the guy doesn't get to his quarterback because they're outnumbered on the line of scrimmage. I just made that grab-and-drag and, grab and terminology up just now. So I think you can see that, that there was no, no discernible problem there, but the, but the opportunity certainly did exist. So if we can get a little help from our wing guy here, because our umpire is gonna move with the flow of the play, then then our wing guy's our only chance to pick up that area. The other thing is, and I'll sum up with this, is that that we snapped at the 32, our our IDP line, our illegal downfield player line, is the 35. So umpires, I know you're gonna be on this sometimes and the line of scrimmage guys sometimes too but there is a process for idp and that process is if you see him and the rule is completely beyond three yards now which he he recognizes him when he's about right here so he says oh i've got this guy downfield i gotta locate the ball oh yeah it was a pass down the field so it must be an idp but that is the absolute incorrect order of occurrence What you need to do for all illegal downfield player calls is when you recognize, let me see if I I can't get it to the right spot. When you recognize that he is down, and in this case he's not because he's still got a piece of that line. Let me see if I can't just pop that a little bit more. When you recognize he's down, dang it. Sorry. All right, one more try. When you recognize he comes down, let's just say that that you say he's down right here. And this is an excellent example. Let's just say that 67 is right here. If that's the case, then you need to then locate the ball. If the ball is out, no foul. You have to locate the ball in player possession because the foul only occurs if he is beyond that before the pass is thrown. Hey, hey Matt. And quick, if a pass is ultimately thrown.
0: Matt, I got a question for you just to make sure we're on the same page. High school expanded neutral
4: zone is two yards, correct? They moved it to, did they move it to three this year? No, the rules okay, they moved this it to two you got to be at three. So you got to be at three. Okay, okay. so they, gave, they they removed the contact requirement. Thank you for the correction. So there was some question about, I think Robert might have covered this, some question about whether or not you needed contact to get the second yard. They eliminated that conflicting language in the rule book this year. So now you do not have to be in contact to get the second yard. So once you get to the third yard, if there is a legal forward pass that is then thrown, that goes beyond the line of scrimmage, you then have a foul. Thank you for the correction on that. Sometimes I'm working in too many coats. So this would be our line. So even now, even at this point, I would say he's OK because he's not completely beyond. And I know I'm going to get some argument on that. But um, when you're working with a legal downfield player and you have to determine timing, your best bet is to say, I've got him completely over. Now I have to find the ball. So uh, otherwise, you're, you're really batting uh, 50-50 on that call.
0: No, and that, and that actually is the, the statistic. Bill and I put that on our videos that we're, for as many times as we are correct, we are wrong on that because it's when the ball is released. And like you said, a lot of times people have already moved and they were, they were legal. And I think from a philosophy standpoint, you, know, you want to see it clearly. You don't want to guess on this two to three. You want, them, you want it to be clear. I mean, the rule says two yards, obviously, with the clarification of in contact. But those, that, you, don't want to, you don't want to make your money on that call. That's not your call to make your money on. You want it to be clear as day as everybody can, uh, can see it. So I'm going to ask Robert, do we have yeah. any last questions here before we, uh, any questions?
2: No, just great comments, great feedback, Matt. Everyone loves you. They want you back uh, whenever you have an opportunity. <laughs> Excellent job. So-
4: well, thank you. That's really nice of you guys. It's, it's been enjoyable. I'm sorry about the video thing. I, I couldn't use my iPad today because of some configuration issue, so it was a little choppier than normal. But I appreciate uh, uh, being on here. No, I thank you so much. I think
0: uh, uh, Bill's got something to say, Bill.
5: I'll tell you what, you gave uh, all of us, including myself, a better appreciation for umpires. You know, we, I think across the country, maybe around the world, we give umpires grief all the time about how you, know, where you take the center and the guards and, and that's it. you pointed out some great things today that really show that the umpire position is a lot more technical, a lot more complicated than than a lot of times we, we give them credit for. So nice job with that.
4: so thank you and thank pre- you umpires
5: uh, there you go
4: all right Matt thank you look
0: we got great video and from all the way from Hawaii so look their internet worked awesome tonight so uh, we're gonna finish this up right Alex is gonna throw up the text number um, he's gonna uh, put it up right now there you go and he's gonna go, he's gonna zoom in on me and then um, what we're gonna do is you got a text this is your last check-in all right so how this is gonna work We're gonna go through, don't look for clinic credit for like tomorrow morning. Give it some time. We've gotta go through the list. We had over 500 people watching this clinic. Not everybody's from Illinois, but if you're an Illinois person, you want clinic credit, be sure to check in. Um, uh, It will be available on demand, this clinic, if you ever wanna go back and reference anything. One of the things, it will not be, uh, there'll be like a little preview video on YouTube sending you to our main page um, and also on Facebook. Due to some licensing and restriction, we're going to have to show this on our uh, main link, but it'll be all fine when it gets there. Give it, give it a day. You know, it's already 10 o'clock here. You know, I'm going to be up probably to midnight editing and all that stuff, so give it some time. But it'll be there on demand at the uh, the main link that we put out earlier um, in the week. Like I said, we had about 500 people here, so thank you so much. Hopefully, you got something out of this. Um, we're going to get you if you're an Illinois person. We're going to get you credit. Couple things before we go. Don't forget Jerry Davis Sports, August 7th. You have to August 7th in order to uh, redeem your 10% off with the code MIBT at checkout. So go ahead and we appreciate their, their uh, sponsorship for of this and, and, and helping us out, get the word out on this. Uh, Mibtonline.com, our meetings start a week from tonight, 7 p.m. Central. In order to see the meetings live and, and participate, we need you to join. And I know there might not be football in Illinois and other states, but we're gonna keep this going. So when they tip that spear, we need to be sharp. Like I told Sam Knox four hours ago, we need to be ready. And you know what? There's a lot of states around Illinois that are working. There's a lot of states in other parts of the country that are gonna work in the, in the spring or in the winter. So who knows? You might go and work somewhere else. Robert and I are talking about going on a road trip, maybe down to Alabama. See Stan from Alabama, we might go down there and work. We gotta feel safe though. You know, you wanna be safe. So we invite you to join us, not only for the insurance purposes, uh, if you want to be a premium member, but just for what we're going to have to offer. So please, uh, please do that. Like I said, um, we're going to be here and we're going to add basketball. We're going to probably add softball and baseball as well. We're expanding. We're adding sports uh, pretty much as we uh, circulate through the year. So you want to keep an eye. Like us on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page so you can get everything. and get all that information. You want to also... Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get our Plays of the Week, and you want to subscribe to our server. So I'm going to go around, uh, I, want, I see Robert, I'm going to let Robert say
2: uh, goodbye and all what he needs to say. To Robert? Yeah, I do want to say a couple things. First of all, we, we had some athletic directors and coaches and even players join us tonight, and they got to witness firsthand how we uh, discuss philosophy, mechanics, and rules, and uh, very, they're very impressed. Uh, the Southwest Prairie and the DuPage Valley Conference specifically joined in and uh, they, they just tipped their hat to us officials. They know that we're a vital part of this whole process and they thank you for your commitment. Uh, with that being said, it was an enjoyable night. It went by fast and thank you for the golden nuggets. I certainly took away some tonight and I know, I, at least I hope, you did as well.
0: Thank you, Robert. Bill Lamagne over there in the alternate, alternate studio. Bill, what do you got to say here before we call it a night?
5: Hey, it was fun being here, and you were right, four hours went by fast, but uh, I just want to remind everybody, and you know it already, you're the guardians of the game. So stay safe, remember the game belongs to the kids playing the game, no matter what that age group of kids are, stay safe, and uh, best wishes.
0: So I want to thank Alex, and Alex, we're going to keep the stream going, we'll go to this page and just leave the text number up, so that way people can have a chance to text in here last minute so they can get credit for, for this clinic. So we'll just go back to the opening page. I think you got it. So thank you, Alex, over there in the control room. See, I'm like the director out here, too, you know? I'm like the referee of the referees sometimes. So sincerely, thank you so much. Um, MIBTOnline.com, don't forget about us. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody. We'll see you here next week. Join our association so you can get more of this great training back next week with our meeting schedule. We're looking forward to it. Good luck, be safe. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the MIBTOnline.com podcast. Join today at MIBTOnline.com. We'll catch you next time.